Welcome to Hackstack Level 2. We will now be giving you all the hacks you need to take your life to greater heights and deeper fulfillment. To get the most out of this show, please listen to the basic training of episodes 1 through 11. And now, let's start hacking. Here's your host, Coz. Hey folks, welcome to the show. Uh, Today, we are going to talk about a taboo topic. Well, I don't know how taboo it is, right? When you think about taboo topics, you think about uh, politics and religion and, hey, you know, you're not supposed to talk about things like that because people get upset and, you know, which is funny to me. I, those are <laughs> two of the most interesting topics uh, I think you could ever talk about. Uh, probably way more interesting uh, than talking about the weather. So I know when those subjects are breached, people get a little irritated Um Things can get tense, um, but you know what? Maybe, maybe in a different show, I'll, I'll talk about those those issues and and how to dance around those things uh, to have some really engrossing conversations without having the other person want to wring your neck because uh, that's an unpleasant uh, situation to be in when you're talking about sensitive subjects and people get irritated. But today. We are going to talk about what some people, not everyone, but some people consider a very sensitive subject. That's right. We're going to talk about money today. It's probably long overdue, right? We should have talked about this a long time ago, but here we are. Episode 14. Going to talk about money. There we go. You guys know I like to play those old songs. But anyway, so yeah, don't let money change you. And and it's interesting. um, You know, you always think that that people, when they get more money, they change. And I I don't know if that's necessarily true. And I think you'll you'll hear uh, later on uh, some different takes on that. But but I know I know people with money that are not fun to be around with. I know people with money that are awesome to be around with. And I know people that don't have a lot of money that are are really cool to hang out with and people that don't have money that are just miserable to hang out with. So I don't know if it's necessarily the money or maybe it's just the character of the individual individual people, right? It's it's not a money thing, it's a people thing. But it's a very, very sensitive topic. And it becomes even more sensitive uh, with couples, uh, in particular, <laughs> husband and wife. Uh, this is probably, on any, any statistic you read, this is like top two or three uh, argument-causing issues in, in marriages and relationships and all that good stuff. So hopefully we can, we can start to get a handle on this thing called money, and it's maybe not as difficult as, as you, you may expect it to be. But we're going to start a, I don't know, three, maybe four-part series on money because uh, I think it's it's so important, and it's it's actually relatively relatively simple uh, to get a handle on things. But I just think there are some basic books that need to be read and consumed and understood to get a proper handle on money. And it's actually, you know, hindsight, being an adult growing up, it's it's somewhat maddening that uh, curriculum or information like this isn't taught in school. You know, even as early as, as elementary school or middle school. I mean, 
It's a basic function of life, right? Trying to manage your own money. And there is virtually zero guidance in the school system on this. And, you know, maybe that's changed, but definitely when I was in school, <laughs> there was nothing on personal finance. Uh, so hopefully that changes at some point in the future. But for now, we've got to do this uh, all on our own and get this information in our head and start to apply it. So to me, there are basically two schools of thought when it comes to money. Um, and they're not all that different. I just, I just think they're, they're, they're different enough where I can classify them as, as two schools of thought. So right now we're going to spend time on school of thought number one. And fortunately for us, I am going to play an audiobook by Dave Ramsey. And this audiobook was is free out there on YouTube, so I was able to to get it from YouTube, and I'm going to play it for you guys. and And I think I think it's good fortune for for you guys because it is just a tremendous read and a tremendous insight uh, into money. And uh, you'll start to realize that that this stuff is is a lot of common sense. Now, I know some of you have already uh, read Dave Ramsey or are familiar with him. And if that is the case, uh, congratulations. And I would almost say that you don't have to listen to this, but you would have to answer this question. Okay, so if you know the concepts that Dave Ramsey teaches, how are you doing on those concepts? Are you sticking to those or are those a long faded memory? Still... <laughs> You're still kind of struggling. Uh, you may want to, to tune in and and listen to this book, and hopefully this will reinvigorate you to uh, stay the course or get back on course and, and keep going. If you've never read any of Dave Ramsey's things, then you are you are in for a treat or or potentially a, a roller coaster. It's um it's kind of hard hitting. It may hit some raw, tender, uh, sensitive areas in your psyche. But that's okay because the the truth hurts, and honestly, it's it's stuff that that needs to be said, and and probably that you need to hear. And after listening to this again myself, I I realized uh, I can use some uh, financial fitness as well. So again, if you've already uh, listened to or read uh, this audiobook, it's probably worth another listen just to refresh your memory, especially if it's been a while. And if you've never read or listened to this, it, it is an absolute requirement. I would actually call it irresponsible if you haven't listened to this. It's very basic. It's very common sense. And I, I think my favorite part is how Dave Ramsey acknowledges uh, the philosophical uh, takes that people have on money and just the emotional energy that's attached to money. So anyway, here you go. Here is the book, The Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. And Dave Ramsey is actually the one reading the book, which is really cool because you can hear the passion in his voice. So take a listen, enjoy, and stick around for some, uh, let's call it interesting homework at the end of the book. All right, here you go. The Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey Chapter 1 The Total Money Makeover Challenge As lost as a ball in tall weeds That is exactly how I felt Although it was 15 years ago I can still taste the emotion as if it were yesterday Out of control, lost, no sense of power I felt dread creep across the room Like the afternoon shadows on a cold winter's day 
sitting again at the kitchen table with too much month left at the end of the money. I was not having fun. This adult stuff where a wife looks at you to provide and kids expect to be fed and kept warm was not exactly working. I didn't feel like some powerful adult. Instead, there was a little boy inside of me who was very afraid. Afraid of this month's bills, afraid of this month's mortgage, and absolutely terrified when I considered the future. How was I going to send kids to college, retire, enjoy life, and not live at the edge of money worries? It seemed every month I sat at the same table with the same worries, fears, and problems. I had too much debt, too little savings, and no sense of control over my life. No matter how hard I worked, it seemed I couldn't win. When Sharon and I (laughs) talked about money, we ended up in a fight, leaving her feeling afraid and me feeling inadequate. I didn't need a get-rich-quick guy to pump me up or tell me to be positive. I didn't need a secret formula to riches. I wasn't afraid of hard work or sacrifice. I didn't want to feel my way into being positive. I was positive of only one thing. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was tired of sitting down to do the bills and having a heaviness come over me. All the money came in, all the money went out, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. You know the drill, and all the cliches that go with the drill. Oh, some months everything seemed to work. I could tell myself then, oh, well, this is how everyone lives. Those times offered enough wiggle room that I could continue to lie to myself that we were making headway, but deep down I knew we weren't. I did it my way, and my way wasn't working. Enough! This stinks! If you've ever had any of those feelings, you are going to love this audiobook, and more important, you will love your Total Money Makeover. Fifteen years ago, my wife Sharon and I went broke. We lost everything due to my stupidity in handling money, or not handling it as the case may be. Hitting bottom and hitting it hard was the worst thing that ever happened to me, and the best thing that ever happened to me. We started with nothing, but by the time I was 26 years old, we held real estate worth over $4 million. I was good at real estate, but I was better at borrowing money. Even though I had become a millionaire, I had built a house of cards. The short version of the story is that we went through financial hell and lost everything. We were sued, foreclosed on, and finally with a brand new baby and a toddler, we were bankrupt. Scared doesn't begin to cover it. But we held on to each other, and we decided we needed a change. So I went on a quest, a quest to find out how money really works, how I could get control of it, and how I could have confidence in handling it. I read everything I could get my hands on. I interviewed old, rich people, people who made money and kept it. That quest led me to a really, really uncomfortable place my mirror. I came to realize that my money problems, worries, and shortages largely began and ended with the person in my mirror. I realized also that if I could learn to manage the character I shaved with every morning, well, I could win at money. That quest led me on a new journey over the last 15 years, the journey of helping others, literally millions of others, to take that same quest 
to the mirror. Live events, Financial Peace University, the Dave Ramsey Show on Talk Radio, and the New York Times bestsellers, Financial Peace and More Than Enough, have enabled me to tell millions of Americans what I have learned the hard way about money. I have a challenge for you. Are you ready to take on the guy or gal in your mirror? If you are, you're ready to win. I discovered God's and Grandma's simple way of handling money. Wealth building isn't rocket science, which is a good thing for me and probably for you. Winning at money is 80% behavior and 20% head knowledge. Most of us know what to do, but we just don't do it. If I can control the guy in the mirror, I can be skinny and rich. We'll let the other audio books work on the skinny, and I'll help you with the rich part. No, there are no secrets, and yes, this is going to be very hard. Hey, if it were easy, every moron walking would be wealthy. So my total money makeover begins with a challenge. The challenge is you. You are the problem with your money. The financial channel or some tape sets aren't your answer. You are. You are the king of your future, and I have a plan. The total money makeover plan isn't theory. It works every single time. It works because it is simple. It works because it gets to the heart of your money problems. You. Tens of thousands of ordinary people have used the system to get out of debt, regain control, and build wealth. These people have sacrificed for a short period of time, so they will never have to sacrifice again. If you're looking for a road map to get you home, you've found it. If you're looking for something easy or fast, you have the wrong audiobook. If you're looking for a writer who has an intricate academic theory, which don't work in the real world, well, you've got the wrong guy. I have many of the academic pedigrees, but I ended up broke. I've actually twice become a millionaire from nothing. The first time was in my 20s. The money was in real estate, and I lost that due to my stupidity. The second time, I was not yet 40, but I did the money thing right that time, and I am debt-free. I often hear about broke finance professors who bemoan that I'm way too simple, or as a recent emailer told me on the Dave Ramsey Show one day, Dave, you're a one-trick pony. To those of you who have great but unexecuted plans, I say prove your plan. I have proven mine. This plan works, but it will cost you. It will teach you to say new words like no. (laughs) In short, your total money makeover will be a personal money makeover where you learn this motto. If you live like no one else, later... You can live like no one else. This is the motto for your total money makeover. It's my way of reminding you that if you will make the sacrifices now that most people aren't willing to make, later on you will be able to live as those folks will never be able to live. I'm sorry, there isn't an easier path. But the good thing about this one is it works. You can repeat the motto to yourself as you pass up a purchase in order to hit your goals. When you work late and are tired, you can say the motto again to yourself. Of course, this isn't a magic formula. I'm not into that. But it does remind you that you will win and the payoff will be worth the cost. 
I don't want to walk across hot coals because it is fun. But if I can be shown how a short, painful walk will do away with a lifetime of worry, frustration, stress, and fear that being constantly broke brings me, then bring on the hot coals. My promise to you is, if you will follow the guidelines of this proven system of sacrifice and discipline, you can be debt-free. Begin saving and give as you've never given before. You will build wealth. The total money makeover isn't a magic formula to wealth. This system will not work unless you do. Your situation isn't your spouse's fault. Well, maybe, but we'll talk later. It isn't your parents' fault. It isn't your children's fault. And it isn't your friend's fault. It's your fault. My financial life began turning around when I took responsibility for it. Please join me on a journey away from the young man I was, the one I described earlier who was racked with worry, fear, and guilt over money. Take this journey with me on your own total money makeover. But remember, the first part of the quest is confronting the man in the mirror. That man in the mirror is your total money makeover challenge. Chapter 2, Denial. I'm not that out of shape. Several years ago, I realized I had let my body dissolve into flab. I had worked so hard for so many years that I had abandoned the care of my physical condition. The first step to getting into shape was to realize that I needed to change my ways, but the second and equally important step was to identify the obstacles to getting there. What would stop me from getting into shape? Once I understood those obstacles, I began the process to lose weight, grow muscle, and become more fit. Your total money makeover is the same. You need to realize there's a problem. But you must also see what could hinder your move toward financial fitness. Look in the mirror. Take a long look. What do you see? Well, I'm really not that fat. Maybe just a little flabby. My dad used to say 90% of solving a problem is realizing there is one. Focused intensity, life or death intensity, is required for you to reset your money spending patterns. And one of your biggest obstacles is denial. The sad thing is you can be financially mediocre in this country, financially flabby, and still be average. And if the truth be known, being average, normal, and financially flabby is pretty much okay by most folks' standards. This, however, is not an audio book for the wimpy among us. This is an audio book about winning, about really having something. For several years, I've spoken to live audiences, teaching them the ideas in this book. After one of those live events, Sarah told me her total money makeover came only after life placed a call to her. She said she'd heard me quote the Wall Street Journal as reporting that 70% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck, but she honestly thought she was in the 30% who were fine. She had financially struck a pose, and the pose was denial. With two sons from her previous marriage, Sarah had just remarried and was happy and secure in her job, as was her husband, John. Their new life together seemed awesome. Their household combined income was about $75,000 a year. 
with the normal debts of small student loans, a car loan, and only $5,000 on a credit card. With life under control and going well, Sarah and John decided their new family needed a new home. Somewhere deep inside, there may have been uneasiness, but it was very deep. In May, they moved into the new home, complete with a big new payment. In September, Sarah's boss asked to see her in his office. She was excelling at work and braced herself for a big girl followed by a nice raise or a bonus. Instead, the boss explained her job was being eliminated. Downsizing, you know, he said. Her life's work was cut from her, and $45,000 of their $75,000 income with the boss's chilling words. That night, there were tears, fears, and the sudden stark realization that she and John were financially fat. Suddenly, Sarah and her family were facing foreclosure on the house and repossession of the car. The basics of life had become precious. Sarah and John had listened to the Dave Ramsey show on the radio, but they always thought someone else needed a total money makeover. After all, they always held in their stomachs when standing in front of the mirror. The night after her layoff was the first night they looked in the financial mirror and saw fat people. The sight wasn't pretty. Big house payments, fat car payments, sloppy large student loans, bloated credit cards, anorexic savings, and no budget. They saw fat people. When you are physically fat, it's hard to be in denial. When you're financially fat, however, you can fake it and look good for a while. Your friends and family will participate in your fantasy-slash-denial, which makes you believe you're doing just fine. One of the four major factors that keeps people from winning in money by getting a total money makeover is not realizing they need one. Sadly, some of the most dramatic makeovers I've seen have been by people who have had life smack them so hard they got the denial knocked out of them. If life isn't smacking you around at the moment, you are actually in a greater danger than Sarah and John the night of the layoff. You are a real candidate for financial mediocrity or even a major crisis brought on by denial. Years ago in a motivational seminar by the master, Zig Ziglar, I heard a story about how mediocrity will sneak up on you. The story goes that if you drop a frog into boiling water, he will sense the pain and immediately jump out. However, if you put a frog in room temperature water, he will swim around happily, and as you gradually turn the water up to boiling, the frog will not sense the change. The frog is lured to his death by gradual change. We can lose our health, our fitness, and our wealth gradually, one day at a time. It might be a cliché, but that's because it is true. The enemy of the best is not the worst. The enemy of the best is just fine. Change is painful. Few people have the courage to seek out change. Most people won't change until the pain of where they are exceeds the pain of change. I hope Sarah's story and the others in this audio book will make you unwilling to stay where you are. If you keep doing the same things, you will keep getting the same results. You are where you are right now financially as a sum total of the decisions you've made to this point. If you like where you are, keep it up. Keep in mind, however, 
Why are you listening to an audio book called The Total Money Makeover? Is it because deep down you have the same uneasy feeling Sarah had but didn't address until it was almost too late? Are you really looking for something more? If so, I've got great news. This plan works. Break through the temptation to remain in the same situation. Don't wait for a heart attack to show you that you're overweight. Cut the carbs, the breads, the sugars, and lace up the running shoes now. The good news about Sarah and John was that the financial heart attack they had made them address their financial eating and exercise habits. The layoff was a wake-up call and the end to denial. After a year of very hard times, Sarah was able to find a whole new career. Only this time, when the check started rolling in, Sarah and John were using this system. Every paycheck became an exciting event because they had a plan. The night I met Sarah and John, they were two years into their plan and smiling. They told me they were debt-free except for their house, and they had $12,000 in the bank just for emergencies. They had broken through their own denial but they made their family uncomfortable because they refused to live like everyone else. Albert Einstein said, Great spirits have always found violent opposition from mediocre minds. John's dad had made fun of their plan and the extra jobs they took to win. He asked if they'd join some cult or something. Sarah and John realized that all they'd been doing with money was to try to impress others, but no more. Sarah chuckled as she told me how she used to think, We must be doing well. All these credit card companies think I'm credit worthy. Besides, I pay my credit cards off every month. How could I be in any trouble? John was grinning now, too, as they both laughed at the language of financially fat people who think they are fine, the language of denial. Sarah told me that while she hoped she or John never lost another job unexpectedly, they are ready if they do. We are no longer living a lie. We know where we are. We know where we are going. And we know how we are going to get there, she said. She and John wanted to leave me a gift for inspiring their total money makeover. But I assured them they already had. Chapter 3. Debt Myths. Debt is not a tool. Red-faced and fists clenched, the toddler yells with murder in his voice, I want it! I want it! I want it! We've all watched this scene unfold in the grocery store. We may even have watched our own children do this once. <laughs> it is human nature to want it and want it now. It is also a sign of immaturity. However, our culture teaches us to live for the now. I want it! We scream. And we can get it if we're willing to go into debt. I've heard it said that if you tell a lie often enough, loud enough, and long enough, the myth will become accepted as a fact. Sometimes we don't even realize what we are doing is stupid because we've been taught that it is just the way you do it. And so we never ask why. Debt has been sold to us so aggressively, so loudly, and so often that to imagine living without debt requires myth-busting. 
Debt is so ingrained into our culture that most Americans can't even envision a car without a payment, a house without a mortgage, a student without a loan, and credit without a card. We've been sold debt with such repetition and with such fervor that most folks can't conceive of what it would be like to have no payments. We can't do without debt, or can we? Working with tens of thousands of people on their total money makeover in the last several years, I have found that a major barrier to winning is our view of debt. Most people who have made the decision to stop borrowing money have experienced something weird. Ridicule. Friends and family who are disciples of the myth that debt is good have ridiculed those on the path to freedom. John Maxwell tells of a study done on monkeys. A group of monkeys were locked in a room with a pole at the center. Some luscious ripe bananas were placed at the top of the pole. When a monkey would begin to climb the pole, the experimenters would knock him off with a blast of water from a fire hose. Each time a monkey would climb, off he would go, until all the monkeys had been knocked off repeatedly, thus learning that the climb was hopeless. The experimenters then observed that the other primates would pull down any monkey trying to climb. They replaced a single monkey with one who didn't know the system. As soon as the new guy tried to climb, the others would pull him down and punish him for trying. One by one, each monkey was replaced, and the scene repeated until there were no monkeys left in the room that had actually experienced the fire hose. Still, none of the new guys were allowed to climb. The other monkeys pulled them down. Not one monkey in the room knew why, but none were allowed to get the bananas. We aren't monkeys, but sometimes we exhibit behavior that seems rather chimp-like. We don't even know why. We just know the debt is needed to win. So when a loved one decides to get a total money makeover, we laugh, get angry, and pull him down. We Americans are like the last set of monkeys. I want to expose the inner workings of the debt myth by looking at many of the sub-myths. However, I need to warn you to watch out for your instinct to defend the American way of borrowing. Calm down, relax, and go for a ride with me for a few minutes. I might be on to something. If at the end of this myth-busting section you conclude I'm just a nut with an audiobook, you will not be forced to change. Myth. Debt is a tool and should be used to create prosperity. Truth. Debt adds considerable risk, most often doesn't bring prosperity, and isn't used by wealthy people nearly as much as we are led to believe. I remember when training for my first career in real estate being told that debt was a tool. Debt is like a fulcrum and lever, allowing us to lift what we otherwise could not. We can buy a home, a car, start a business, or go out to eat and not be bothered with having to wait and save money. The myth has been sold that we should use OPM, other people's money, to prosper. The academic garbage is spread really thick on this issue. My contention is that debt brings on enough risk to offset any advantage that could be gained through leverage of debt. 
given time a lifetime, risk will destroy the perceived returns purported by the myth-sayers. I once was a myth-sayer myself, but life and God had some lessons to teach me. Only after losing everything I owned and finding myself bankrupt did I think that risk should be factored in. Life hit me hard enough to get my attention and teach me about risk. According to Proverbs 22.7, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. I was confronted with this scripture and had to make a conscious decision of who was right, my broke finance professor who taught me that debt was a tool, or God who showed obvious disdain for debt. Beverly Sills had it right when she said, There is no shortcut to any place worth going. I have found that if you look into the lives of the kind of people you want to be like, you will find common themes. If you want to be skinny, study skinny people. If you want to be rich, do what lots of rich people do. The Forbes 400 is a list of the richest 400 people in America, as rated by Forbes magazine. When surveyed, 75% of the Forbes 400 rich people, not your broke brother-in-law with an opinion, said the best way to build wealth is to become and stay debt-free. Walgreens, Cisco, Microsoft, and Harley-Davidson are run debt-free. I've met with thousands of millionaires in my years as a financial counselor, and they all lived on less than they made and spent only when they had cash. No payments. History also teaches us that debt wasn't always a way of life. In fact, three of the biggest lenders today were founded by people who hated debt. In 1910, the Sears catalog stated, Buying on credit is folly. J.C. Penney department stores make millions annually on their plastic, but their founder was nicknamed James Cash Penny because he detested the use of debt. Henry Ford thought debt was a lazy man's method to purchase items. The old school saw the folly of debt. The new school saw the opportunity to take advantage of the consumer with debt. You have probably heard a lot of the sub-myths which fall in line behind the big one that says debt is a tool. So that we leave no stone unturned, let's review and debunk each of the myths spread by a culture that has officially bought the lie. Myth. If I loan money to a friend or relative, I am helping them. Truth. If I loan money to a friend or relative, the relationship will be strained or destroyed. The only relationship that would be enhanced is the kind resulting from one party's being the master and the other party a servant. The old joke is that if you loan your brother-in-law $100 and he never speaks to you again, was it worth the investment? We have all experienced loaning someone money and finding an immediate distancing in the relationship. Joan called my radio show one day complaining about how a loan had ruined her relationship with one of her best friends at work. She had loaned the lady, a broke single mom, $50 until payday. Payday came and went, and her friend, someone she used to talk to at lunch every day, someone who was her confidant and sounding board, now avoided her. Shame and guilt had entered the scene with no provocation. We don't control how debt affects relationships. Debt does that independently of what we want. 
The borrower is servant to the lender. You change the spiritual dynamic of a relationship when you loan a loved one money. They are no longer friend, uncle, or child. They are now your servant. I know some of you think that is overstated, but tell me why Thanksgiving dinner tastes different when a loan has been served. Eating with your master is different from eating with your family. Joan was really torn up about losing this friendship. I asked her if the friendship was worth $50. She gushed that it was worth many times that, so I told her to call her friend and tell her the debt was forgiven. A gift. The forgiveness of the debt helped her remove the master-servant dynamic from the relationship. Of course, it would be better if that dynamic had never entered the scene. I also suggested two stipulations to the forgiveness of the debt. First, that the friend agree to help someone else in need someday. And second, that she never loan friends money. Let's break the myth chain. The lesson is that while it is fine to give money to a friend in need, if you have it, loaning them money will mess up the relationship. I have dealt with hundreds of strained and destroyed families where well-meaning people loaned money to help. Parents loan the 25-year-old newly married couple the down payment money for the first home. It all seems so noble and nice until the daughter-in-law catches the disapproving glances at the mention of the couple's upcoming vacation. She knows the meaning of the glances, that she should check with those well-meaning noble parents-in-law before she buys toilet paper until this loan is repaid. A lifetime of resentment can be born right there. Hundreds of times I've seen relationships strained and sometimes destroyed. We all have, but we continue to believe the myth that a loan to a loved one is a blessing. It isn't. It is a curse. Don't put that burden on any relationship you care about. Myth. By co-signing a loan, I'm helping a friend or relative. Truth. Be ready to repay the loan. The bank wanted a cosigner for a reason, which is that they don't expect a friend or relative to pay. Think with me for a moment. If debt is the most aggressively marketed product in our culture today and the lending industry has denied your friend or relative a loan, there is little doubt that the potential borrower is trouble looking for a place to happen. The lender requires a cosigner because there is a very high statistical chance that the applicant won't pay. So why do we cosign knowing full well the inherent problems? We enter this ridiculous situation only on emotion. Intellect could not take us on this ride. We know they will pay because we know them. Wrong. The sad thing is that those of us who have co-signed loans know how they end up. We end up paying them, but only after our credit is damaged or ruined. According to Proverbs 17:18, it's stupid to guarantee someone else's loan. That pretty well sums it up. Just like trying to bless a loved one with a loan, many people are trying to help by co-signing, and the result is damaged credit and damaged or destroyed relationships. I see cases of people caught in the co-signing trap every day on the Dave Ramsey Show, our talk radio show. 
Joe called because he was surprised to find he was on the hook for $16,000 on a mobile home he co-signed for 15 years ago. Ten years ago, his brother's mobile home was repoed, and the bank sold it for $16,000 less than was owed. Now, ten years later, the bank caught up with Joe and wanted its money. Joe was angry that this could happen. Most co-signers have no concept of the trip they've signed up for. Myth. Cash advance, payday loans, rent-to-own, title pawning, and tote-the-note car lots are needed to help lower-income people get ahead. Truth. These rip-off examples of predatory lending are designed to take advantage of lower-income people and benefit only the owners of the companies making the loans. Lower-income people will remain at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder if they fall for these rip-offs. These lenders, or as I like to call them, the scum of the scum, are bottom feeders and legally making themselves rich on the backs of the poor or those soon to be poor. The lending rates of these types of operations are over 100% interest, and if you want to stay on the bottom, keep dealing with these guys. You know why these types of operations are located only at the poor end of town? Because rich people won't play. That's how they got to be rich people. The payday loan is one of the fastest growing trash lenders out there. You write a hot check for $225, dated one week from now, which will be payday. They will give you $200 cash on the spot, all for a mere $25 service charge, which equates to over 650% interest annually. Mike called my talk show recently and was caught in a web of these payday loans. Basically, Mike had borrowed from one trash lender to pay another, and by doing this again and again and again, had created a cycle of financial death. He was panicked because he was being threatened with criminal charges for writing bad checks by the very places that have a business model based on a post-dated bad check. This type of business is legalized loan sharking. The sad thing is that the only way out for Mike is to stop paying them, close his accounts, and then meet with each lender to work out a payment arrangement. That will mean extra jobs and selling things around the house. The classic tote-the-note car lot is no better. Most of these transactions involve older, cheaper cars. The dealer purchases these cars and sells them for a down payment equal to what he paid for the car. So the payments at 18 to 38 percent interest paid weekly are all gravy. Tow trucks all over town recognize these cars because the car being sold has been sold many times and repeatedly repoed by the dealer. Every time the dealer sells the car, his return on investment skyrockets. The payments could have purchased the car for cash in a matter of weeks. In fact, the down payment could have purchased the car if the buyer had been a little more savvy. Rent-to-own is one of the worst examples of the little red-faced kid in I-want-it-now mode. The Federal Trade Commission continues to investigate this industry because the effective interest rates in rent-to-own transactions are over 1,800% on average. Whoa! People rent items they can't possibly afford to buy because they look only at how much a week 
and think, I can afford this. Well, when you look at the numbers, no one can afford this. The average washer and dryer will cost you just $20 per week for 90 weeks. That is a total of $1,800 for a washer and dryer. As my old professor used to say about the own part of rent-to-own, you should live so long if you had saved $20 per week for just 10 weeks you could have bought the scratch-and-dent model off the floor at the same rent-to-own store for $200. Or you could buy a used set out of the classifieds. If the red-faced kid, I want it and I want it now, rules your life, you will stay broke. If you use payday loans, tote the note, and rent-to-own, please understand that you are being destroyed financially. These businesses feed on the working poor, and you must avoid them at all costs if you want to win with money. Myth. 90 days, same as cash, equals using other people's money for free. Truth. 90 days is not the same as cash. The silly marketing that America falls for has resulted in this. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have in order to impress people we don't really like. 90 days, same as cash, has exploded in furniture, electronics, and appliance sales. 90 days is not the same as cash for these three basic reasons. One, if you will flash cash... $100 bills in front of a manager who has a sales quota to meet, you will likely get a discount. If you can't get a discount, go to the competitor and get one. You do not get the discount when you sign up for the finance plan. Two, most people don't pay off the debt in the allotted time. Nationally, 88% of these contracts convert to debt, a debt where you are charged a rip-off interest rate of 24 to 38%, and they backcharge you to the date of purchase. Please don't tell me you are the one who's actually going to pay it off. No, Virginia, 90 days is not the same as cash. Myth. Car payments are a way of life. You'll always have one. Truth. Staying away from car payments by driving reliable used cars is what the average millionaire does. That is how he or she became a millionaire. Taking on a car payment is one of the dumbest things people do to destroy their chances of building wealth. The car payment is most folks' largest payment except for their home mortgage, so it steals more money from the income than virtually anything else. USA Today notes that the average car payment is $378 over 55 months. Most people get a car payment and keep it throughout their lives. As soon as a car is paid off, they get another payment because they need a new car. If you keep a $378 car payment throughout your life, which is normal, you miss the opportunity to save that money. If you invested $378 per month from age 25 to age 65, a normal working lifetime, in the average mutual fund, averaging 12%, the 70-year stock market average, you would have $4,447,084 and a penny at age 65. Hope you like the car!
Some of you had your nose in the air as intellectual snobs when I illustrated how bad rent-to-own is because you would never enter such an establishment, and yet you're doing worse on your car deal. If you put $378 per month in a cookie jar for just 10 months, you have almost $4,000 for a cash car. I'm not suggesting you drive a $4,000 car your whole life, but that's how you start without debt. Then you can save the same amount again and trade up to an $8,000 car 10 months later and up to a $12,000 car 10 months after that. In just 30 months, or two and one-half years, you can drive a paid-for $12,000 car, never having had a car payment, and never have to make payments again. Taking on car payments because everyone else does it does not make it smart. Will your broke relatives and friends make fun of your junk car while you do this? Sure they will. But that is a very good sign you're on the right track. Having been a millionaire and gone broke, I dug my way out by making a decision about looking good versus being good. Looking good is when your broke friends are impressed by what you drive, and being good is having more money than they have. (laughs) Are you starting to realize that the total money makeover is also in your heart? You have to reach the point that what people think is not your primary motivator. Reaching the goal is the motivator. When the goal, not how you look, begins to matter, you are on your way to a total money makeover. Today, I drive a very nice, very expensive, slightly used car. But it wasn't always that way. After going broke, I drove a borrowed 400,000-mile Cadillac with a vinyl roof torn loose across the front so that it filled up with air like a parachute when I drove it. The predominant color on this puppy was Bondo. I drove the Bondo buggy for what felt like 10 years during one three-month period. I had dropped from a Jaguar to a borrowed Bondo buggy. This was not fun. But I knew that if I would live like no one else, later I could live like no one else. Today, I am convinced that my wife and I are able to do anything we want financially, partially because of the car sacrifices we made in the early days. I believe with everything within me that we are winning because of the heart change that allowed us to drive old, beat-up cars in order to win. If you insist on driving new cars with payments your whole life, you will literally blow a life fortune on them. If you are willing to sacrifice for a while, you can have the life fortune and drive quality cars. I'd opt for the millionaire's strategy. Myth. Leasing a car is what sophisticated people do. You should lease things that go down in value and take the tax advantage. Truth. Consumer advocates, noted experts, and a good calculator will confirm that the car lease, fleece, is the most expensive way to operate a vehicle. Consumer Reports, Smart Money Magazine, and my calculator tell me that leasing a car is the worst possible way to acquire a vehicle. In effect, you are renting to own.
the cost of capital, which is the interest rate, is extremely high. Yet most new car deals this year will be a fleece. I mean, a lease. They're bad. Sorry, that's my impression of a sheep getting fleeced. The average interest rate is 14%. Shouldn't you lease or rent things that go down in value? Not necessarily. And the math doesn't work on a car for sure. Follow me through this example. If you rent, lease, a car with a value of $22,000 for three years, and when you turn it in at the end of that three-year lease, the car is worth $10,000, someone has to cover the $12,000 loss. You're not stupid, so you know that General Motors, Ford, Chrysler, or any of the other auto giants aren't going to put together a plan to lose money. Smart Money Magazine quotes the National Auto Dealers Association, NADA, as stating the average new car purchase for cash makes the dealer an $82 profit. When the dealer can get you to finance with them, they sell the financing contract and make an average of $775 per car. But if they can get you to fleece the car, the dealer can sell that fleece to the local bank or GMAC, Ford Motor Credit, Chrysler Credit, Toyota Credit, etc. for an average of $1,300. The typical car dealer makes their money in the finance office and the shop, not in the sale of new cars. Car fleecing is exploding because dealers know it is their largest profit center. Myth. You can get a good deal on a new car at 0% interest. Truth, a new car loses 60% of its value in the first four years. That isn't 0%. You can't afford a new car unless you are a millionaire and can therefore afford to lose thousands of dollars all in the name of the neat new car smell. A good used car that is less than three years old is as reliable or more reliable than a new car. A new $28,000 car will lose about $17,000 of value in the first four years you own it. That is almost $100 per week in lost value. To understand what I'm talking about, open your window on your way to work once a week and throw out a $100 bill. The average millionaire drives a two-year-old car with no payments. He or she simply bought it. The average millionaire is unwilling to take the loss that the new car dishes out. That is how they became millionaires. Some people want to buy a new car for the warranty. If you lose $17,000 of value over four years, on average you've paid way too much for a warranty. You could have completely rebuilt the car twice for $17,000. Myth. You should get a credit card to build your credit. Truth. You won't use credit with your total money makeover, except maybe for a mortgage, and you don't need a credit card for that. The best myth is the build your credit myth. This myth means we have to get debt so we can get more debt because debt is how we get stuff. Those of us who have had a total money makeover have found that cash buys stuff better than debt. The one question we must answer is, how do we get a home mortgage? Later, I will introduce you to the 100% down plan. 
or if you have to, how to settle for a 15-year fixed-rate mortgage. But if you want that 15-year fixed rate with a payment that is no more than 25% of your take-home pay, so I won't yell about it, don't you need credit? No. You will need to find a mortgage company that does actual underwriting. That means they are professional enough to process the details of your life instead of using only a beacon score, lending for dummies. You can get a mortgage if you have lived right. Let me define lived right. You can qualify for a conventional 15-year fixed-rate loan if, one, you have paid your landlord early or on time for two years, two, you have been in the same career field for two years, three, you have a good down payment, which is more than nothing down, four, you have no other credit, good or bad, five, you are not trying to take too big a loan. A payment that totals 25% of take-home pay is conservative and will help you qualify. Don't let anyone tell you to go into debt to make way for a mortgage. That is a lie. A quality mortgage professional can get you into a home if he or she knows how to do underwriting. As for building credit for other stuff, leave that to the losers. With your total money makeover, you won't be taking on that kind of debt. No way. Myth. You need a credit card to rent a car, check into a hotel, or buy online. Truth. A debit card will do all of that. The Visa debit card or other check cards that are connected to your checking account give you the ability to do virtually anything a credit card will do. Some rental car places don't take debit cards, but most do. I buy things online and stay in hotels using my debit card all the time. Myth. The debit card has more risk than a credit card. Truth. Nope. Supposed financial experts have spread this myth to the point that it is virtually urban legend. The fact is, Visa's regulations require the member bank to afford the debit card the exact same protections in cases of theft or fraud. Myth. If you pay off your credit card every month, you get the free use of someone else's money. Truth. Card track says 60% don't pay off their credit cards every month. When you play with snakes, you get bitten. I have heard all the bait put out there to lure the unsuspecting into the pit. A free hat, airline miles, brownie points back, free use of someone else's money, a discount at the register, the list goes on, and you get to sign up for a credit card. Have you ever asked why they work so hard to get you involved? The answer is that you lose and they win. You won't wear the hat, and Consumer Reports says that 75% of the airline miles are never redeemed. Maybe you think, I pay mine off, so I'm using their money. I'm winning. Wrong again. A study by Dun & Bradstreet showed that the credit card user spends 12 to 18% more when using credit instead of cash. It hurts when you spend cash, and therefore you spend less. The big question is, what do millionaires do? They don't get rich with free hats, brownie points, air miles, and the use of someone else's money. What do broke people do? They use credit cards. An American Bankruptcy Institute study of bankruptcy filers revealed that 69% of filers say credit card debt caused 
the bankruptcy. Broke people use credit cards. Rich people don't. I rest my case. Myth. Make sure your teenager gets a credit card so he or she will learn to be responsible with money. Truth. Getting a credit card for your teenager is an excellent way to teach him or her to be financially irresponsible. That's why teens are now the number one target of credit card companies. Parents must instead teach the teenager to just say no. Anyone visiting a college campus in recent years has been shocked at the aggressive and senseless marketing of credit cards to people who don't have jobs. The results can be devastating. Recently, two college students in Oklahoma gave up on their credit card debt and committed suicide with the bills lying on the bed beside them. The reason that lenders market so aggressively to teens is brand loyalty. The lenders' studies have found that we consumers are very loyal to the first bank that certifies our adulthood by issuing us plastic. When I am doing an appearance and cutting up credit cards, the emotional attachment many people have to the first card they got in college is amazing. They clutch it like it's an old boyfriend or girlfriend. Brand loyalty is real. Several hundred schools across America are now using our high school curriculum called Financial Peace for the Next Generation. The results have been staggering. Teens latch on to the total money makeover before they even need one. A recent graduate of the program, 15-year-old Chelsea, said, I think this class has totally changed my life. Whenever I see someone using a credit card, I think, Whoa, how could they do that to their life? I always thought you had to have credit card payments, house payments, and car payments. Now I realize you don't have to. Very cool, Chelsea. You have to start teaching kids early because kitty branding is now commonplace. A few years back, Mattel put out Cool Shopping Barbie, which was sponsored by MasterCard. Of course, this cool babe had her own MasterCard. In my home, our kids are on commission, not allowance. Work and get paid, don't work and don't get paid. Kind of like the real world. Our children put their newly earned money in envelopes labeled Save, Spend, and Give. When a child learns to work, save, spend, and give under a mature parent's direction, the child can avoid the messages that say, a credit card equals prosperity. Myth. Debt consolidation saves interest, and you have only one smaller payment. Truth. Debt consolidation is dangerous because you treat only the symptom. Debt con Solidation. It's nothing more than a con, because you think you've actually done something about your debt problem. The debt is still there, as are the habits that caused it. You just moved it. You can't borrow your way out of debt. You can't get out of a hole by digging out the bottom. Larry Burkett says, debt is not the problem. It is the symptom. I feel debt is the symptom of overspending and undersaving. A friend of mine works for a debt consolidation firm whose internal statistics estimate that 78% of the time after someone consolidates their credit card debt, the debt grows back. Why? They still don't have a game plan 
to either pay cash or not buy at all, and they haven't saved for unexpected events, which will also become debt. Debt consolidation seems appealing because there is a lower interest rate on some of the debt and a lower payment. In almost every case we review, though, we find the lower payment exists not because the rate is actually lower, but because the term is extended. If you stay in debt longer, you get a lower payment. If you stay in debt longer, you pay the lender more, which is why they're in the business of debt consolidation. The answer is not the interest rate. The answer is a total money makeover. Myth. Borrowing 125% on my home is wise because I'll restructure my debt. Truth. You are stuck in the house, which is really dumb. On today's radio show, I took a call from a desperate man facing bankruptcy. He had borrowed $42,000 on a second mortgage, a rip-off 125% loan. Dan's existing balance on his first mortgage was $110,000, making his total new mortgage debt $152,000. Dan's home was worth $125,000, so he owed $27,000 more on his home than it is worth. He lost his job two months ago, and luckily has just found a job in another state. But he can't sell his home. He had the same job for 16 years and thought he had security. But now, just a few months later, he is in the soup. My suggestion to Dan was that he call the second mortgage ripoff lender and get an acknowledgment of the truth that there really isn't any collateral for this loan. They wouldn't foreclose in a hundred years, but they will sue him when the first mortgage company forecloses. So after asking the second mortgage lender to release the lien for whatever proceeds above the first mortgage come from a sale, Dan will sign a note and make payments on the rest. Dan will have payments for years to come on a second mortgage for a home he no longer owns. But like most folks, his second mortgage was to pay off, move debt he already had on credit cards, medical bills, and other life issues. Today, with a job in another state, Dan would rather have all his old debt back and his home where he could sell it easily. Myth. If no one used debt, our economy would collapse. Truth. Nope. It would prosper. The occasional economics teacher feels the need to pose this ridiculous scenario. So let's pretend for the fun of it. What if every single American stopped using debt of any kind in one year? The economy would collapse. What if every single American stopped using debt of any kind over the next 50 years? A gradual, total money makeover. The economy would prosper, although banks and other lenders would suffer. Do I see tears anywhere? Think with me for a moment. What would people do if they didn't have any payments? They would save and they would spend, not support banks. Saving and investing would cause wealth to be built at an unprecedented level. Giving would increase and many social problems would be privatized. Thus, the government could get out of the welfare business. Then taxes could come down, and we would have even more wealth. As that great philosopher Austin Powers said, 
Capitalism, yeah, baby. Those who are worried about the widening gap between the haves and the have-nots need not look to government to solve the problem. Just call for a national total money makeover. Are you beginning to understand that debt is not a tool? It is a method to make banks wealthy, not you. The borrower truly is servant to the lender. How much could you give every month, save every month, and spend every month if you had no payments? Your income is your greatest wealth-building tool, not debt. Your total money makeover begins with a permanent changed view of the debt myths. Another Total Money Makeover Success Story The most valuable lesson I learned had nothing to do with the green paper that becomes such an idol to so many people. It was about trusting God. Having been a single mom for 14 years to two sons, now ages 19 and 20, I wanted more than anything in the world to make up to them what I felt they never got, because they were not raised in a married household. Unfortunately, I used the credit card to soothe away some of the pain I saw on their faces today and tried not to think about the reality of what I was doing to my own future tomorrows. But tomorrow does come, and all of a sudden children are almost grown and gone, and I'm left with the finance charges and the balances, and the feeling that pulling out that credit card was a big mistake. When I look back on my life, I wish I had learned many years ago to place my trust in God first above everything and everyone else. Instead of putting that trust in plastic and the material things it provided. Since I began practicing Dave's principles, my two tithe checks are the most important checks I write every month. Those checks support my church, but most of all, they support my belief and faith in God, who will never change who will never charge me interest, and unlike a credit card, will always be there for me and provide for all my needs. I strongly recommend that single parents follow the total money makeover principles. It will change your spending habits, your thinking, and most important, your heart. Joyce, a single mom. Chapter 4. Money Myths the non-secrets of the rich. Most money myths have to do with a lie about a shortcut or a lie about safety. We yearn to become healthy, wealthy, and wise with no effort and with no risk, but it will never happen. Why else is the lottery so successful in pulling in millions of dollars? Why do people stay in jobs they hate seeking false security? The total money makeover mentality is to live like no one else. So later, we can live like no one else. A price has to be paid, and there are no shortcuts. While no one goes looking for needless pain, risk, or sacrifice, when something sounds too good to be true, it is. The myths I'm going to talk about now are rooted in two basic problems. First is risk denial thinking total safety is possible and likely. Second is easy wealth, or looking for the magic key to open the treasure chest. Risk denial takes several forms in the world of money. 
Sometimes risk denial is a kind of laziness when we don't want to take the energy to realize that energy is needed to win. Other times, risk denial is a kind of surrender in which we settle for a bad solution because we are so beat down or beat up that we wave the white flag and do something stupid. At still other times, risk denial can have an active component when we search for a false security that simply doesn't exist. This is the risk denial of someone who keeps a job he or she hates for 14 years because the company is, quote, secure, only to find life turned upside down by a layoff when the secure company files for bankruptcy. Money denial always involves an illusion followed by disillusionment. The second underlying problem is the quest for easy wealth. Quick easy money is one of the oldest lies or myths in the book of the human race. The secrets of the rich don't exist because the principles aren't a secret. There is no magic key and if you are looking for one you've set yourself up for pain and the loss of money. One of my pastors says that living right is not complicated. It may be difficult, but it is not complicated. Living right financially is the same way. It is not complicated. It may be difficult, but it is not complicated. In addition to debt myths, we must dispel several other money myths as part of your total money makeover. Most of these money myths are rooted in the problems we've already discussed, denial and or a shortcut mentality. Myth. Everything will be fine when I retire. I know I'm not saving yet, but it will be okay. Truth. Ed McMahon is not coming. How can I put this delicately? There is no shining knight headed your way on a white horse to save the day. Wake up. This is the real world where sad old people eat Alpo. Please don't be under the illusion that this government, one that is so inept and dim-witted with money, is going to take care of you in your golden years. That is your job. This is an emergency. The house is on fire. You have to save. You have to invest for your future. You won't be fine. Do you get the picture? Things won't be okay unless you make them that way. Your destiny and your dignity are up to you. You are in charge of your retirement. We'll talk about how to take charge of it later, but for now, you'd better be 100% convinced that this area deserves your full attention right now, not tomorrow or pretty soon. Myth. Gold is a good investment and will cover me if the economy collapses. Truth. Gold has a poor track record and isn't used when an economy collapses. Gold is a lousy investment with a long track record of mediocrity. The average rates of return tracked as far back as Napoleon are around 2% gain per year. In recent history, gold has a 50-year track record of around 4.4%, about the same as inflation, and just above savings accounts. During that same time frame, you would have made around 12% in a good growth stock mutual fund. The truth is that gold is not used when economies fail. History shows that when an economy completely collapses, the first thing that appears is a black market barter system in which people trade items for other items or services. Myth. I can get rich quickly and easily if I join these groups, buy this tape set, and work three hours a week.
truth. No one develops and makes a six-figure income on three hours a week. Have you seen the midnight infomercial about ordering a tape set with the secrets so that you, too, can become wildly wealthy by buying nothing down real estate or by learning the hidden formula to success in the stock market? Sounds too good to be true? It is. Small business ideas abound, such as getting rich at home by stuffing envelopes and doing medical billing. Be realistic. Envelopes are stuffed by machines at a rate of thousands a minute and at a cost of tenths of a penny. They are not stuffed by stay-at-home moms trying to supplement the family income. One person in every thousand who attempts the oversold, overdone medical billing concept does so at a profit. The legitimate profitable medical biller is usually someone who came from the medical industry, not someone who got ripped off taking a weekend course. Don't fall for this. Real estate can be purchased for nothing down. But then you owe so much on it that there is no cash flow. I bought foreclosure and bankruptcy real estate for years and know it can be done. But the players with cash are the ones who win. The good deals are 1 in 200 if you are experienced and very good in real estate. I worked 60 hours a week and it took me years to get to a six-figure income in that world. The stock market attracts the brightest business minds on the planet. These mega-nerds study, track, chart, eat, and breathe the stock market and have for generations. Still, every other year, a book or con artist comes out claiming to have discovered little-known keys, patterns, or trends that will make you rich. The Beardstown Ladies published a New York Times bestseller about their cute little quilting group who started investing and discovered how to get unbelievable returns. As it turns out, the whole thing was a fraud, and they never got those reported returns, and the publisher got sued. It is really hard to sell books and tapes that teach the necessity of lots of hard work, living on less than you make, getting out of debt, and living on a plan, but I'm trying, because it's the only way that will work. Meanwhile, the sooner you understand that no one gets rich quick by using secret information, the better. Myth. Cash value life insurance, like whole life, will help me retire wealthy. Truth. Cash value life insurance is one of the worst financial products available. Sadly, over 70% of the life insurance policies sold today are cash value policies. A cash value policy is an insurance product that packages insurance and savings together. Do not invest money in life insurance. The returns are horrible. Your insurance person will show you wonderful projections, but none of these policies perform as projected. Let's look at an example. If a 30-year-old man has $100 per month to spend on life insurance and shops the top five cash value companies, he will find he can purchase an average of $125,000 in whole life insurance for his family. The pitch is to get a policy that will build up savings for retirement, which is what a cash value policy does. However, if this same guy purchases 20-year level term insurance with coverage of $125,000, the cost will only be $7 per month, not $100. Wow! 
If he goes with the cash value option, the other $93 per month would be in savings, right? Well, not really. You see, there are expenses. Expenses? How much? All of the $93 per month disappears in commissions and expenses for the first three years. After that, the return will average 2.6% per year for whole life, 4.2% for universal life, and 7.4% for the new and improved variable life policy that includes mutual funds. These statistics are from Consumer Reports, Consumer Federation of America, Kiplinger's Personal Finance, and Fortune Magazine. So these are the real numbers. Worse yet, with whole life and universal life, the savings you finally build up after being ripped off for years don't go to your family upon your death. The only benefit paid to your family is the face value of the policy, the $125,000 of our example. The truth is that you would be better off to get the $7 term policy and put the extra $93 in a cookie jar. At least after three years, you would have $3,000, and when you died, your family would get your savings. As you continue in this book and learn how to have a total money makeover, you will begin investing well. Then, when you're 57 and the kids are grown and gone, the house is paid for, and you have $700,000 in mutual funds, you've become self-insured. That means when your 20-year term is up, you shouldn't need life insurance at all because with no kids to feed, no house payment, and $700,000, your spouse will just have to suffer through if you die without life insurance. Myth. Playing the lotto and other forms of gambling will make you rich. Truth. Lotto and Powerball are attacks on the poor and people who can't do math. It is a ripoff instituted by our government. This is not a moral position. It is a mathematical statistical fact. Studies show that the zip codes that spend four times what anyone else does are those in lower income parts of town. The lotto or gambling of any kind offers false hope, not a ticket out. Myth. Mobile homes or trailers will allow me to own something instead of renting, and that will help me to become wealthy. Truth. Trailers go down in value rapidly, making your chances for wealth building less than if you had rented. People who buy a $25,000 double-wide home will in five years owe $22,000 on a trailer worth $8,000. Financially, it's like living in your new car. Please don't kid yourself on this. Call it manufactured housing. Put it on a permanent foundation. Add lots of improvements around the yard. And it is still a trailer when you are ready to sell it. If the typical consumer considering buying your home can walk up and tell it was ever a trailer in any form, your home will go down, not up in value. The only exception to the no trailers rule is Ron's plan. Ron graduated from Financial Peace University and was on track for a total money makeover. Ron and his wife prayerfully decided to sell their nice $120,000 home on which they owed only $50,000. They bought a small farm and a very used $3,000 trailer. With no payments and an income of $85,000, they saved and built a very nice paid-for $250,000 home in just a couple of years. Myth. 
prepaying my funeral or my kids' college expenses is a good way to invest and protect myself against inflation. Truth. Plans for prepaid funerals and college expenses give low rates of return and put money in the other guy's pocket. When you prepay something, your return on investment, interest, is the amount the item will go up in value before you use it. In other words, by prepaying, you avoid the price increases, and that is your return. Prepaying items is like investing at the item's inflation rate. For example, prepaying college tuition will save you the amount tuition goes up between the time you lock in and the time your child begins his college education. The average inflation rate for tuition nationally is about 7%. So prepaying tuition is like investing money at 7%. That is not bad, but mutual funds will average about 12% over a long period of time, and you can save for college tax-free More about college saving later in your total money makeover. The same concept is true for prepaid burial plans. Pre-planning the details of your funeral is wise, but prepaying is unwise. Sarah, age 39, paid $3,500 for a prepaid funeral. Why? If she were to save $3,500 in a mutual fund, averaging 12%, upon an average death age of 78, Sarah's mutual fund would be worth $368,500. I think Sarah could be buried for that with a little left over, unless, of course, she is kin to King Tut. Myth. I don't have time to work on a budget, retirement plan, or estate plan. Truth. You don't have time not to. Most people concentrate on the urgent in our culture. We worry about our health and focus on our money only after they're gone. John Maxwell has the best quote on budgeting I've ever heard. I wish I had said it. A budget is people telling their money what to do instead of wondering where it went. Earl Nightingale, motivational legend, said that most people spend more time picking out a suit of clothes than planning their career or even their retirement. What if your life depended on how you managed your 401k or whether you started your Roth IRA today? Actually, it does, because the quality of your life at retirement depends on your becoming an expert in money management today. Myth. The debt management companies on TV, like Ameridebt, will save me. Truth. You may get out of debt, but only with your credit trashed. Debt management companies are springing up everywhere. These companies manage your debt by taking one monthly payment from you and distributing the money among your creditors, with whom they've often worked out lower payments and lower interest. This is not a loan, as with debt consolidation. Sometimes people get the two confused. Both are bad. Companies like Ameridebt and Consumer Credit Counseling Service can help you get better interest rates and lower payments, but at a price. When you use one of these companies and then try to get a conventional FHA or VA loan, you will be treated the same as if you had filed a Chapter 13 bankruptcy. Mortgage underwriting guidelines for traditional mortgages will consider your credit trashed, so don't do it. Another problem with debt management by someone else is that your habits don't change. You can't have someone else lose weight for you. You have to change your exercise and diet habits. Handling money is the same way. You have to change your behavior. 
Turning all your problems over to someone else treats the symptom, not the problem. Our firm does financial counseling and certifies counselors around the nation for referrals. We will not handle your money for you. We lead you into a mandatory total money makeover. We are not babysitters. Of the debt management companies, Consumer Credit is the best. They do the most thorough job, and they are the most powerful in the renegotiation of your debt. You will still destroy your credit by using them, though, so don't do it. But if I absolutely can't talk you out of it, they're the one to use. Ameridebt has one of the worst Better Business reports of any debt management company. Stay away. Myth. I can buy a kit to clean up my credit, and all my past misdeeds will be washed away. Truth. Only inaccuracies can be cleaned from credit reports. So this is a scam. You can't have anything taken off your report unless the item is inaccurate. If you have an inaccuracy that needs to be removed, do it yourself. Accurate bad credit stays unless you lie. Lying for the purpose of getting money is fraud. Don't do it. Clean your credit with a total money makeover. I will show you how to live under control, pay cash for stuff so you don't need credit, and over time your credit will clean itself. Myth. My divorce decree says my spouse has to pay the debt, so I don't. Truth. Divorce decrees do not have the power to take your name off credit cards and mortgages. So if your spouse doesn't pay, be ready to. You still owe the debt. If your ex-husband keeps his truck that you both signed for and then doesn't make the payments, your credit is damaged, the truck gets repoed, and you will get sued for the balance. If you are going to leave a marriage, make sure that all debts are refinanced out of your name or force the sale of the item. Don't have the attitude, I don't want to make him sell his truck. If you're that much in love, don't get divorced. But if you're walking away, make it a complete clean break, even though it's painful now. The only other option is mega risk, and you can count on heartache and even more anger coming your way. Myth. That collector was so helpful. They really like me. Truth. Collectors are not your friends. Your total money makeover will cause you to pay your debts. I want you to pay what you owe, but collectors are not your friends. Any deal, special plan, or settlement you make with collectors must be in writing before you send them money. Otherwise, you'll find that you don't have a deal, that they lied. And never allow collectors electronic access to your checking account and never send post-dated checks. They will abuse you if you give them this power, and there will be nothing you can do because you owe them money. Clear? Myth. I'll just file bankruptcy and start over. It seems so easy. Truth. Bankruptcy is a gut-wrenching, life-changing event that causes lifelong damage. Don't let anyone fool you. I have been bankrupt and worked with the bankrupt for decades, and it is not a place you want to visit. Bankruptcy is listed in the top five life-altering negative events that we can go through along with divorce, severe illness, disability, and loss of a loved one. Chapter 7 bankruptcy, which is total bankruptcy, stays on your credit report for 10 years. Chapter 13 bankruptcy, more like a payment plan, stays on your credit report for 7 years.
Bankruptcy, however, is for life. Loan applications and many job applications ask if you have ever filed for bankruptcy. Ever. If you lie to get a loan because your bankruptcy is very old, technically you have committed criminal fraud. Most bankruptcies can be avoided with a total money makeover. Your total money makeover may involve extensive amputation of stuff, which will be painful, but bankruptcy is much more painful. Myth. I can't use cash because it is dangerous. I might get robbed. Truth. You are being robbed every day by not using the power of cash. We teach people to carry cash. In a culture where the sales clerk thinks you are a drug dealer if you pay with cash, I know this suggestion may seem weird. However, cash is powerful. If you carry cash, you spend less, and you get bargains by flashing cash. Linda emailed my newspaper column complaining that she would get robbed if she carried cash. I explained to her that crooks don't have x-ray vision to look into her pocket or purse. The crooks assume that your purse is like all the others, filled with credit cards that are over the limit. Look, I'm not making light of crime. There is a chance you may get robbed because people do get robbed. And if that happens, the cash will be taken. But trust me, you need to be far more worried about the danger of using credit cards than the danger of being robbed while carrying cash. Myth. I can't afford insurance. Truth. Some insurance you can't afford to be without. Today, as I went to lunch, I met Steve and Sandy in my reception area. They came by to say thanks. What for? This young couple in their 20s listened to our radio program, and because I constantly push people to get the right kinds of insurance, they did. This year, they got term insurance and an MSA health insurance policy. Good thing we did what you said to do, said Steve, as he pulled off his cap to reveal a shaved head with a big scar across the top. What in the world happened? I asked. The scar was from a biopsy that revealed inoperable brain cancer. Steve promised he is going to beat it. Sandy smiled and said the health insurance has already paid over $100,000 in bills, and we would be sunk if we hadn't followed through as you push all the time. Also, Steve is now uninsurable, so he's thankful to have his term life insurance in place. Our prayers are with this young couple. By being responsible and buying the right kinds of insurance, they have covered life and death, which we all have to do. We all hate insurance until we need it. We pay and pay and pay and pay premiums, and sometimes we feel insurance poor, but you must have insurance in some basic categories as a part of a total money makeover. Auto and homeowner's insurance. Choose higher deductibles in order to save on premiums. With high liability limits, these are the best buys in the insurance world. Life insurance. Purchase 20-year level term insurance equal to about 10 times your income. Term insurance is cheap and the only way to go. Never use life insurance as a place to save money. Long-term disability. If you are 32 years old, you are 12 times more likely to become disabled than to die by age 65. The best place to buy disability insurance is through work at a fraction of the cost, and you can usually get coverage that equals from 50 to 70% of your income. 
health insurance. The number one cause of bankruptcy today is medical bills. Number two is credit cards. One way to control costs is to look for large deductibles to lower your premium. If you are self-employed, look for an MSA, medical savings account. This type of insurance saves premiums and taxes. Long-term care insurance. If you are over 60, buy long-term care insurance to cover in-home care or nursing home care. The average nursing home stay costs $40,000 per year, which will crack and scramble a nest egg in a heartbeat. Dad in the nursing home can use up mom's $250,000 savings in just a few short years. Make your parents get it. Myth. If I do a will, I might die. Truth. You are going to die, so do it with a will. Estate planners tell us that 70% of Americans die without a will. Dumb, really dumb. The state, known for its financial prowess, will decide what happens to your stuff, your kids, and your financial legacy. The proverb says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. I am a pragmatist. And so I don't understand all the fretting over a will. A will is a gift you leave your family or loved ones. It is a gift because it makes the management of your estate very clear and light years easier. You are going to die. So go out in style and die with a will in place. We've revealed debt myths and money myths. If you have carefully listened and understood why these myths are untrue, I have great news for you. Your total money makeover has already begun. The total money makeover is a remaking of your view of money so that you permanently change how you deal with money. You must walk to the beat of a different drummer, the same beat that the wealthy hear. If the beat sounds normal, evacuate the dance floor immediately. The goal is to not be normal. Because as my radio listeners know by now, normal is broke. Chapter 5. Two more hurdles. Ignorance and keeping up with the Joneses. Now we will address two more hurdles. Ignorance and keeping up with the Joneses. Hurdle number one. Ignorance. No one is born financially smart. The first hurdle is ignorance. In a culture that worships knowledge, to say ignorance about money is an issue makes some people defensive. Don't be defensive. Ignorance is not lack of intelligence. It's lack of know-how. No one is born with the knowledge of how to drive a car. We are taught the skill. Likewise, no one is born with the knowledge of how to handle money. But we aren't taught that. According to the Census Bureau, the average family in America last year made $40,816. Even if they never get a raise, the average family will make over $2 million in a working lifetime. And we teach nothing about how to manage money in most high schools and colleges. We have quit teaching personal finance, and we have to start again. That is why financial peace for the next generation is taught in high schools around the nation. If you made a mess of your money and or haven't gotten the best use from it, the reason is that you were never taught to do so. Overcoming ignorance is easy. You don't need to apply to Harvard to get an MBA with a specialization in finance. You just need to spend more time on your 401k options and your budget than you do picking out this year's vacation. Hurdle number two, keeping up with the Joneses. The Joneses can't do math. 
The second hurdle is keeping up with the Joneses. Peer pressure, cultural expectations, reasonable standard of living. I don't care how you say it. We all need to be accepted by our crowd and our family. This need for approval and respect drive us to do some really insane things. One of the paradoxically dumb things we do is to destroy our finances by buying garbage we can't afford to try to make ourselves appear wealthy to others. Dr. Tom Stanley wrote a wonderful book in the 90s you should read entitled The Millionaire Next Door. His book is a study of America's millionaires. Remember, if you want to be thin and muscular, you should study the habits of people who are thin and muscular. If you want to be rich, you should study the habits and value systems of the rich. When we think of millionaires, we think of big houses, new cars, and really nice clothes. Stanley found that most millionaires don't have those things. He found the typical millionaire lives in a middle-class home, drives a two-year-old or older paid-for car, and buys blue jeans at Walmart. In short, Stanley found the typical millionaire found infinitely more motivation from the goal of financial security than from what friends and family think. If we look at Stanley's findings and hold those up against Ken and Barbie's life plan, we find Ken and Barbie to be lost, off course, and clueless. Ken and Barbie are in our office all the time for financial counseling. Last year they were here, and their names were Bob and Sarah. Bob and Sarah make $93,000 a year and have for the last seven years. What do they have to show for it? A $400,000 home that they still owe $390,000 on including a home equity loan used to furnish the home. They have two $30,000 fleeced cars and a $52,000 credit card debt. But they have traveled well and were dressed in high fashion. The $25,000 left on a student loan from college 10 years ago is still outstanding because they have no money. On the positive side, they have $2,000 in savings and $18,000 in their 401k. These people have a negative net worth, but they really looked good. Bob's mom is very impressed, and Sarah's brother frequently stops by to ask for money because they are obviously doing well. They present the perfect picture of the American dream that has turned into a nightmare. Behind the perfect hair and the French manicure, there was deep desperation and a sense of futility, an unraveling marriage and disgust with themselves. This may be one of the places our metaphor of weight loss for fiscal fitness breaks down. If your body were in the same condition that Bob and Sarah's money is in, everyone would think, 500 pounds is just too fat. Your problem would be apparent to family, friends, strangers, and even you. The difference with Bob and Sarah is that they are broke and desperate and no one knows it. Not only does no one know it, but everyone thinks the opposite is true. So when my counselor made suggestions to turn this bankruptcy looking for a place to happen around, there was more than one place of resistance in the heart. The truth is that Bob and Sarah are broke. They need to sell the cars and sell the house. Resistance of the heart is real. First, of course, we like our nice houses and nice cars, and selling them would be painful. Second, 
We don't want to admit to everyone we have impressed that we are fakes. Yes, when you buy a big pile of stuff with no money and lots of debt, you are a financial fake. Peer pressure is very, very powerful. We are scaling down. It is a painful statement to make to friends or family. We will have to pass on that trip or dinner because it's not in our budget. It is virtually impossible for some people to say. Being real takes tremendous courage. We like approval and we like respect. To wish for the admiration of others is normal. The problem is that this admiration can become a drug. Many of you are addicted to this drug and the destruction to your wealth and financial well-being caused by your addiction is huge. Radical change in the quest for approval is required for a money breakthrough. Sarah's breakthrough came with family. Her family had always given Christmas gifts to every member with 20 nieces and nephews and six sets of adults to buy for just on her side. The budget was ridiculous. Sarah's announcement at Thanksgiving that this year Christmas giving was going to be done with the drawing of names because she and Bob couldn't afford it was earth-shattering. Some of you are grinning as if this is no big deal. It was a huge deal in Sarah's family. Her mother and two of her sisters were furious. Very little thanks were giving that Thanksgiving. But Sarah stood her ground and said, no more. Sarah has a master's degree in sociology, so she is no pushover. She understood that she would lose approval, admiration, and respect. The courage to address what may seem like a small issue was a huge breakthrough for Sarah. That Thanksgiving, her heart had a total money makeover, and she was not going to be led into well-dressed poverty by peer pressure anymore. Everyone has a weak spot like Sarah's. It could be your third-generation failing business that needs to be closed. It could be your clothes shopping. It probably is your car. It could be the boat. Maybe yours is giving to your grown children. Unless you have had a heart-level total money makeover somewhere, sometime in your life, you are still doing something with money to impress others. And that has to change before you can get on a real plan to fiscal fitness. The Bible states godliness with contentment is great gain. Those of us who have had a total money makeover still know where our Achilles heel is and still see that weak spot as a fatal wound if we allow it to grow again. What is the one money thing that makes you grin inside when you see others admiring it? Do you need to give it up to break that feeling inside you? Until you recognize that weak area, you will always be prone to financial stupidity on that subject. My weak spot is cars. After starting with nothing and becoming a millionaire the first time by age 26, I needed a Jaguar. What I needed was for people to be impressed with my success. What I needed was family raising an eyebrow of approval based on my ability to win. What I yearned for was respect. What I was so shallow to believe was that the car I drove gave me those things. God used the whole story of what I drove 
to give my heart a total money makeover in the area of peer pressure. As I was going broke, losing everything, I kept the Jaguar by refinancing it repeatedly. I even went so far as to get a good friend to co-sign a loan so I could keep this image car. Within the year of our bankruptcy, we were so broke that our electricity was once cut off for two days. I have often wondered what the guy from the electric company thought as he stood in the driveway next to my Jaguar and pulled my electric meter. That is sick. Finally, my friend really got tired of making the payments he had co-signed for and gently suggested that I sell my precious car. I was mad at him. How dare he suggest I sell my car? So he quit making the payments. And the bank not so gently suggested I sell the car or they would repo it. I tried to stall and only came to my senses and sold the Jaguar on a Thursday morning because the bank assured me they would take it on Friday. I was able to work my way through the mess, pay the bank and even my friend back, but the process was humiliating because I was too stubborn to address what that car represented in my life. I caused much damage that was avoidable. An interesting footnote about how healing can occur on your weak spot. I was so disgusted with myself when I woke up and realized the depth of my stupidity that I swore off my drug, cars. I didn't care what we drove or what it looked like as long as we were winning in our total money makeover. Fast forward 15 years. We had become wealthy again, and I decided to get a different car. I'm always looking for a one- or two-year-old car, and I'm always paying cash, and always looking for a great deal, not really caring which car it is. I was kind of looking for a Mercedes or a Lexus. A friend in the car business called me with a deal on a Jaguar. So all those years and tears later, when it was no longer the driving force of my approval rating, God sent a Jaguar back into my life. He returned what the locusts had eaten, but he only did so when it was not my idol. Rumor has it that God doesn't like us to have other gods in our lives. So, maybe someday Sarah and Bob will be able to pay cash to take Sarah's whole family on a cruise for Christmas. After their total money makeover, Bob and Sarah will be able to pay cash for a huge event like that and not even dent their wealth. They will be able to buy that cruise in memory of that fateful Thanksgiving when Sarah's heart had a total money makeover in her need for her family's approval. That change has taught Sarah and Bob that if they will live like no one else, later they'll be able to live like no one else. One thing I have learned as I have lost fat, become toned, and generally gotten into better shape is this. Things that require physical output are easier for me. Things like mountain climbing or obstacle courses are actually doable now. Not a dream as they were when I was overweight and out of shape. The same is true of our total money makeover journey to fiscal fitness. Have you realized by now that the start of your total money makeover is almost an obstacle course? We busted through denial. We waded through and climbed over debt myths. We carefully scaled the wall of money myths. We are working through ignorance. And we have learned not to place so much emphasis on our competition on the course. We've permanently quit keeping up with the Joneses because the Joneses are broke. The obstacle course, however, was only part of our journey. Now we stand at the bottom of a mountain with a clear view of the top. 
Take a look back before we start. The climb will be hard, but it will be near impossible if you are still struggling with any of the obstacles. The 12-steppers have it right. They say continuing to do the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result is the definition of insanity. What you have falsely believed and acted on or not acted on has brought you to the place you are today with your money. If you want to be in a different place, you must believe and do things differently. The change will be painful, but the result will be worth it. I've been to the top of the total money makeover mountain, and I've led countless others there. I say it is worth the effort. So lace up your shoes of resolve, wave goodbye to your normal friends, and let's climb. Chapter 6. Save $1,000 fast. Walk before you run. In my first book, Financial Peace, there is a chapter titled Baby Steps, the premise of which is that we can do anything financially if we do it one little step at a time. The term baby steps comes from the comedy What About Bob starring Bill Murray. Bill plays a crazy guy who drives his psychiatrist crazy. The therapist has written a book called Baby Steps. The statement, you can get anywhere if you simply go one step at a time, is the framework for the movie. We will use the baby steps to walk through our total money makeover. Why do baby steps work? I thought you'd never ask. The way you eat an elephant is one bite at a time. Find something to do and do that with vigor until it is complete. Then and only then do you move to the next step. If you try to do everything at once, you will fail. When I went on a quest for a better body and better health a few years ago, my wise trainer didn't try to kill me the first day. We walked before we ran. Plus, if I tried to do everything at once, I would have been overwhelmed and frustrated with my inability to do it at all. The power of focus is what causes our baby steps to work. When you try to do everything at once, progress can be very slow. When you put 3% in your 401k, $50 extra on the house payment, and $5 extra on the credit card, you dilute your efforts. Because you attack several areas at once, you don't finish anything. You start for a long time. And that makes you feel that you aren't accomplishing anything, which is very dangerous. If you feel that nothing is getting done, you will soon lose energy for the task of money management altogether. The power of focus is that it works you check stuff off your list. The power of priority also causes the baby steps to work. Each of these steps is part of the proven plan to financial fitness I promised you. They build on one another. So do the baby steps in order. To start the baby steps, we will work on one important step to the exclusion of others. Patience. We will climb the whole mountain, but not until we first have a strong base camp. You will be tempted to short-circuit the process because you are more concerned about one certain area of your money, but don't do it. These steps are the proven plan to financial fitness, and they are in the right order for everyone. For example, if you are 55 with no retirement, you may want to jump ahead to step four, invest 15% of your income into retirement, because you are scared about not being able to retire with dignity. The paradox is that by shortcutting the process, you are much more likely to fail at retiring with dignity. If you have kids heading toward college, you may be panicking about saving for college, which is covered in Baby Step 5, but don't do it out of order. 
focus exclusively on the baby step you are on, even though it seems to be a temporary detriment to other areas of money. Things will be fine if you don't focus on retirement for a few months, as long as you can kick retirement into the stratosphere when we get there. Before we discuss the baby steps, we need to look at some basic tools needed to win and some ongoing things you should be doing as you go. The dreaded B word enters the picture here. You must set up a written budget every month. This is an audio book about a process that will enable you to win with your money. And I assure you that virtually none of the thousands of winners I have seen did so without a written budget. You have to tell your money what to do or it leaves. A written budget for the month is your goal. People who win at anything have written goals. Goals are what you are aiming at. Zig Ziglar says, if you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. You wouldn't build a house without a blueprint, so why do you spend your lifetime income of over $2 million without a blueprint? Jesus said, which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Brian Tracy, motivational speaker, says, what does it take to succeed on a big scale? A tremendous God-given talent? Inherited wealth? A decade of postgraduate education? Connections? Fortunately for most of us, what it takes is something very simple and accessible. Clear, written goals. According to Brian Tracy, a study of Harvard graduates found that after two years, the 3% who had written goals achieved more financially than the other 97% combined. This is not a textbook on money, but let me give you a couple of guidelines to get started on budgeting. Set up a new budget every month. Don't try to have the perfect budget for the perfect month because we never have those. Spend every dollar on paper before the month begins. Income minus out to go equals exactly zero every month. Look at this month's income and this month's bills, savings, and debts, and match them up until you've given every dollar an outgo name. If you're married, agree on the budget with your spouse. This one sentence requires a standalone book to describe how. <laughs> but the bottom line is this. If you aren't working together, it is almost impossible to win. In most marriages, one person is more forceful than the other. If the forceful one is stupid, guess what happens? A lot of stupid decisions are made for the family. I put out a call right now for those of you who are not the forceful ones in marriages to speak out when they think a decision is wrong. Do not go along with stupidity. If you know what is right, grow a backbone and speak up. You need to learn to bust up in your spouse's face and say no to stupid decisions. When you are right, you shouldn't go walking around afraid of what your spouse is going to think or feel. You don't have to be nasty, but you do have to be assertive. The first time you do this, there will likely be a fight. You may need some counseling, but you needed it anyway. One wife wrote to me because she was fed up with her husband's behavior. Quote, I need you to help me set some guidelines. My husband refuses to work with me on our quest for financial independence. I've set up numerous appointments for financial counseling, and he has blown off each one of them. Should I go about this on my own and try to secure my own checking account and at least get myself into good financial standing and worry about my own retirement? My response to her, 
You should not separate your finances unless you're planning to get divorced. I think that you need to look at the problems within your marriage before you look at your financial problems. Once you and your husband can agree on marriage issues, the rest will fall into place. Honestly, your marriage is normal based on the fact that most people go through this type of situation and disagreement. But if your husband continues to refuse to go to counseling, you need to go to a counselor alone and try to make this marriage work. Once the budget is agreed on and is in writing, pinky swear and spit shake that you will never do anything with money that is not on that paper. If something comes up in the middle of the month that causes the budget to need changing, call an emergency budget committee meeting. You can change the budget only if you do two things. One, both spouses agree to the change. Two, you must still balance your budget. If you increase what you are spending on car repairs by $50, you must lower what you're spending somewhere else by $50 so that your income minus your outgo still equals zero. Before we get to baby step one, you will have to do one other thing. You will have to be current with all of your creditors. If you are behind on payments, the first goal will be to become current. If you are far behind, do necessities first, which are basic food shelter, utilities, clothing, and transportation. Only when you're current with the necessities can you catch up on credit cards and student loans. If you need more help with this level of financial crisis, check our website for how to contact one of our certified counselors or order the book Financial Peace Revisited. Focused intensity is required to win. I can't stress enough that people who have had a total money makeover got mad. They got sick and tired of being sick and tired. They said, I've had it, and went ballistic to change their lives. There is no intellectual exercise where you can academically work your way into wealth. You have to get fired up. Play the music from Rocky in the background and go get them, champ. There is no energy in logic. This is behavior and motivation modification, and it works. After you are current, have a written, agreed-on plan, have the obstacle course behind you, and are focused and intense, you are ready to follow the right priorities. Here we go. Baby step one. Save $1,000 cash as a starter emergency fund. It is going to rain. You need a rainy day fund. Money Magazine says that 78% of us will have a major negative event in a given 10-year period of time. The job is downsized, or you just plain get fired. There is an unexpected pregnancy. Car blows up. Transmission goes out. You bury a loved one. Grown kids move home again. Life happens, so be ready. This is not a surprise. You need an emergency fund, an old-fashioned grandma's rainy day fund. Sometimes people tell me I should be more positive. Well, I am positive. It is going to rain, so you need a rainy day fund. Now, obviously, $1,000 isn't going to catch all of these big things, but it will catch the little ones until the emergency fund is fully funded. The emergency fund is not for buying things or for vacation. It is for emergencies only. No cheating. Do you know who Murphy is? Murphy is that guy with all those negative laws like, if it can go wrong, it will. 
For years, I have worked with people who felt that Murphy was a member of their family. A total money makeover is no guarantee of a trouble-free life, but my observation has been that trouble, Murphy, is not as welcome in homes that have an emergency fund. Saving money for emergencies is Murphy repellent. Being broke all the time seems to attract old Murphy to set up residence. Most of America uses credit cards to catch all of life's little emergencies. Some of these so-called emergencies are events like Christmas. Christmas is not an emergency. It doesn't sneak up on you. Christmas is always in December. They don't move it, and therefore it is not an emergency. Your car will need repairs, and your kids will outgrow their clothes. These are not emergencies. They are items that belong in your budget. If you don't budget for them, they will feel like emergencies. Whether the emergency is real or just poor planning, the cycle of dependence on credit cards has to be broken. A well-planned budget for anticipated things and an emergency fund for the truly unexpected can end dependence on credit cards. The first major step to your total money makeover is to begin the emergency fund. A small start is to save $1,000 in cash fast. If you have a household income under $20,000 per year, use $500 for your beginner fund. Stop everything and focus. Since I hate debt so much, people often ask why we don't start with the debt. I used to do that when I first started teaching and counseling, but I discovered that people would stop their whole total money makeover because of an emergency. The alternator on the car would go out, and that $300 repair ruined the whole plan because the purchase had to go on a credit card since there was no emergency fund. If you use debt after swearing off it, you lose the momentum to keep going. It is like eating seven pounds of ice cream on Friday after losing two pounds that week. You feel sick like a failure. So start with a little fund to catch the little things before beginning to dump the debt. The beginner fund will keep life's little Murphys from turning into new debt while you work off the old debt. If a real emergency happens, you have to handle it with your emergency fund. No more borrowing. You have to break the cycle. Twist and wring out the budget, work extra hours or sell something, but quickly get your $1,000. Most of you should hit this step in less than a month. If it looks like it is going to take longer, do something radical. Work part-time. Get crazy. You are way too close to the edge of falling over a major money cliff here. When you get the $1,000, hide it. You can't keep the money handy because it will get spent. You can put it in the bank savings account, but don't attach the savings account to your checking to protect you from overdrafting because then your emergency fund will get spent on impulse. I have had to learn to protect myself from me. We are not putting the money in the bank to earn money, but rather to make it hard to get. Since $1,000 at 4% earns only $40 per year, you aren't getting rich here. Just finding a safe place to park money. What if you already have more than $1,000? Wow, that was easy, wasn't it? If you already have the $1,000 in anything other than retirement plans, get it out. If it is a certificate of deposit with penalties, take the penalty for early withdrawal and get it out. 
If it is in stocks or bonds, get it out. Your emergency fund, limited to $1,000 in liquid available cash, is all that is acceptable. If you have tried to get fancy with your emergency fund, you are likely to borrow to keep from cashing it, the cool investment, out. What if you are at baby step two and you use $300 from your emergency fund to fix the alternator? If this happens, stop step two and return to step one until the full $1,000 is replenished. Once your beginner emergency fund is funded again, you can return to step two. I know some of you think this step is very simplistic, but for others, this is the step that will be the spiritual and emotional basis for the entire total money makeover. Lily was such a case. A single mom with two kids, she had been divorced for eight years. Struggle has been a way of life for some time. Lily had survival debt, not stupid spoiled brat debt. She had been ripped off with a super high interest car loan, check advance debt, and lots of credit card debt. She had a take-home pay of only $1,200 per month with two baby birds to feed, along with a host of greedy rip-off lenders. Saving seemed like such a fairy tale to her that she had long ago lost hope of ever being able to save money. When I met her, she had already begun her total money makeover. After hearing me teach the baby steps at a live event, weeks later she dropped by a book signing to give me an unsolicited report. As she moved through the book line, I looked up and saw a huge grin. She asked if she could give me a big hug to say thanks. How could I turn that down? As I looked at her, tears began to run down her cheeks. As she gleefully told me of fighting through a budget, her first ever, she told me of years of struggle. Then she laughed, and everyone in line, now fully engaged, cheered when she said she now has $500 in cash saved. This is the first $500 in her adult life that is earmarked for an emergency fund. This is the first time she has had money between her and Murphy. Her friend Amy, who was with Lily that day, told me that Lily is a different person already. Amy said even her face has changed now that she has peace. Don't be confused. It wasn't $500 that did all that. What caused Lily's liberation was her newfound hope. She has hope that she has never had before. She has hope because she has a sense of power and control over money. Money has been an enemy her whole life, and now that she has tamed it, money is going to be Lily's new lifelong companion. How about you? Now is the time to decide, is this theory or is it real? Am I a simpleton kook or have I found something that works? Keep listening and we will decide together. Another Total Money Makeover Success Story My name is Stephen. I'm 28, I'm debt-free, and I have brain cancer. I found Dave Ramsey on the radio and became a fan immediately. Growing up, I had accepted debt as a part of life. At first, I tried to get my wife Sandy to buy into the Total Money Makeover plan. To say she was reluctant might be the understatement of the year, especially when she figured out we would have to sell her 2000 Toyota 4Runner to become debt-free. 
we sat down together and looked at our overall financial picture. We owed about $46,000. We knew we had to change. She started tuning in to Dave, and we started discussing our finances. We agreed to start the baby steps mentioned in the total money makeover. We simply followed what Dave taught. It took us 12 months to kill $46,000 in debt. We sold a bunch of stuff. We moved twice to save money on rent. As Dave would say, we got gazelle intense. Every sacrifice was worth it. We've never felt more alive. After becoming debt-free, we were able to give our part-time business a full-time chance. Still following Dave's advice, we opened a medical savings account, MSA, and secured 20-year term insurance. Along with deciding to become debt-free, the MSA and term insurance have literally saved our lives. This past year, I was diagnosed with an inoperable form of brain cancer at the ripe old age of 28. The MSA that we chose has a $5,000 deductible, but it covers 100% of anything above the deductible. My medical bills approached $100,000 within the first two months. The MSA, along with our term insurance, saved our financial lives. Even after I'm gone, I know my beautiful 23-year-old wife will be taken care of. It's all because of Dave's advice. I can't imagine worrying about making payments on $46,000 in debt and worrying about coming up with the cash to cover our part of an 80-20 insurance plan or wishing I'd taken the time to set up term insurance to take care of my wife. Thanks to Dave, Sandy and I can stand side by side and fight this fight. With God's help, we will win. Steve, Self-Employed Chapter 7. The Debt Snowball. Lose weight fast, really. Your total money makeover is dependent upon using your most powerful tools. I believe with everything within me that your most powerful wealth-building tool is your income. Ideas, strategies, goals, vision, focus, and even creative thinking are vastly important. But until you get control and full use of your income to build wealth, you will not build and keep wealth. Some of you might inherit money or win a jackpot, but that is dumb luck, not a proven plan to financial fitness. To build wealth, you will have to regain control of your income. The bottom line is that it is easy to become wealthy if you don't have any payments. You may get sick of hearing it, but the key to winning any battle is to identify the enemy. The math is revealing. The typical American with a $40,000 annual income would normally have an $850 house payment and a $350 car payment with an additional $180 payment on the second car. Then there is a $165 student loan payment, and the average credit card debt is about $12,000, making those monthly payments around $185 per month. Also, this typical household will have other miscellaneous debt on things like furniture, stereos, or personal loans on which they pay an additional $120. All these payments total $1,850 per month. If this family were to invest that, instead of sending it to creditors, 
They would be a cash mutual fund millionaire in just 15 years. After 15 years, it gets really exciting. They'll have $2 million in five more years, $3 million in three more years, $4 million in two and a half more years, $5 million in two more years. So they will have $5 million after 28 years. Keep in mind, this is with an average income, which means many of you make more than this. If you make $40,000 and have fewer payments, you have a head start, since you already have more control of your income than most people. With a take-home pay of $2,850, could you invest $1,850 if you had no payments? All you have to pay for is utilities, food, clothes, insurance, and other miscellaneous expenses. That would be tight, but doable. If you do that for just 15 years, you will have a pinnacle experience. I will explain that later. Many of you listening are convinced that you could become wealthy if you could get out of debt. The problem is now that you are feeling more and more trapped by the debt. I have great news. I have a foolproof, but very difficult, method for getting out of debt. Most people won't do it because they are average, but not you. You have already figured out that if you will live like no one else, later you can live like no one else. You are sick and tired of being sick and tired, so you are willing to pay the price for greatness. This is the toughest of all the baby steps to your total money makeover. It is so hard, but it is so worth it. This step is where all your broke friends and relatives will make fun of you or join you. This step requires you to shave your head and drink the Kool-Aid. Just kidding, but not too much. Your focused intensity has to go off the scale. If you really believe that wealth building will no longer be a dream, but a reality, if you had no payments, you will be willing to do bizarre and sacrificial things to have no payments. Time to pay off the debt. Baby step two, start the debt snowball. The way we pay off the debt is called the debt snowball. The debt snowball process is simple to understand, but will require truckloads of effort. Remember what my pastor said, it isn't complicated, but it is difficult. We have discussed that personal finance is 80% behavior and 20% head knowledge. The debt snowball is designed the way it is because we are more concerned with modifying behavior than correct mathematics. You'll see what I mean shortly. Being a certified nerd, I always used to start with making the math work. I have learned that the math does need to work, but sometimes motivation is more important than math. This is one of those times. The debt snowball method requires you to list all of your debts in order of smallest payoff balance to largest. List all your debts except your home. We will get to that in another step. List all of your debts, even loans from mom and dad or medical debts that have zero interest. I don't care if there is interest or not. I don't care if some have 24% interest and others have 4% interest. List the debts smallest payoff to largest. If you were so fabulous with math, you wouldn't have debt, so try this my way. 
The only time to pay off a larger debt sooner than a smaller one is some kind of big-time emergency, such as owing the IRS and having them come after you, or in situations where there will be a foreclosure if you don't pay it off. Otherwise, don't argue about it. Just list the debts, smallest to largest. The reason we list smallest to largest is to have some quick wins. This is the behavior modification over math part I referred to earlier. Face it, if you go on a diet and lose weight the first week, you will stay on that diet. If you go on a diet and go six weeks with no visible progress, you will quit. I don't care if you have a master's degree in psychology. You need quick wins to get fired up. And getting fired up is super important. When you pay off a nagging $52 medical bill or that $122 cell phone bill from eight months ago, your life is not changed that much mathematically yet. You have, however, begun a process that works, and you will be fired up about the fact that it works. After you list the debts, smallest to largest, pay the minimum payment to stay current on all the debts except the smallest. Every dollar you can find from anywhere in your budget goes toward the smallest debt until it is paid. Once the smallest is paid, the payment from that debt plus any extra found money is added to the next smallest debt. Trust me, once you get going, you will find money. When the debt number two is paid off, you take the money that you used to pay on number one and number two, and you pay it, plus any found money, on number three. When three is paid, you attack four, and so on. All the money from old debts and all the money you can find anywhere goes on the smallest until it is gone. Attack! Every time the snowball rolls over, it picks up more snow and gets larger, until by the time you get to the bottom, you have an avalanche. Most people get to the bottom of the list and find that now they can pay well over $1,000 per month on a car loan or a student loan. At that point, it won't take long to bust out and be debt-free except for the house. That is baby step two. Use the debt snowball to become debt-free except for your home. The major elements of making the debt snowball work are using a budget, getting current before you start, Smallest to largest payoff, no cheating, sacrifice, and focused intensity. Total, sold-out, focused intensity is possibly the most important. This means saying to yourself and meaning it, to the exclusion of virtually everything else, I'm getting out of debt. Proverbs 6, 1 and 5, loosely paraphrased, says, If you have signed surety, my son... Surety is Bible talk for debt. Deliver yourself like the bird from the hand of the fowler and the gazelle from the hand of the hunter. I remember reading that Bible verse and thinking what a cute little animal metaphor it was for getting out of debt. Later that week, I was surfing channels one day and hit the Discovery Channel. I noticed they were filming gazelles. The gazelles were peacefully grazing around. Of course, you know the Discovery Channel wasn't there just for the gazelles. The next camera shot was of Mr. Cheetah sneaking up in the bushes looking for lunch. Suddenly, one of the gazelles got a whiff of Mr. Cheetah. The other gazelles noticed the alarm and soon also were on edge. They couldn't yet see the cheetah, so out of fear of running at him, they froze until he played his cards. 
Realizing he had been discovered, Mr. Cheetah decided to give it his best shot and leaped from the bushes. The gazelles all yelled, Cheetah! Well, not really, but they did run like crazy in 14 different directions. The Discovery Channel reminded viewers that the cheetah is the fastest mammal on dry land. He can go from zero to 45 miles per hour in four leaps. The show also proved that because the gazelle will outmaneuver the cheetah, instead of outrunning him, the cheetah will tire quickly. As a matter of fact, the cheetah only gets his gazelle burger for lunch in one out of 19 chases. The gazelle's primary hunter is the fastest mammal on dry ground, yet the gazelle wins almost every time. Likewise, the way out of debt is to outmaneuver the enemy and run for your life! An obvious step to working the debt snowball is to stop borrowing. Otherwise, you will just be changing the names of the creditors on your debt list. So you must draw a line in the sand and say, I will never borrow again. As soon as you make that statement, there will be a test. Trust me. Your transmission will go out. Your kid will need braces. It is almost as if God wants to see if you are really gazelle intense. At this point, you are ready for a plastectomy, plastic surgery to cut up your credit cards. A permanent change in your view of debt is your only chance. No matter what happens, you have to pursue the opportunity or solve the challenge without debt. It has to stop. If you think you can get out of debt without huge resolve to stop borrowing, you are wrong. You can't get out of a hole by digging out the bottom. Sometimes your debt snowball won't roll. When some people do their budget, there's barely enough to make all the minimum payments and nothing extra to pay on the smallest. There is no push to get the snowball rolling. Let me offer another image to help you better understand this problem and the solution. My great-great-grandfather ran a timber operation in the hills of Kentucky and West Virginia. In that bygone era, after cutting the timber, they would put the logs into the river to float them downstream to the sawmill. The logs would build up at a bend in the river, and a traffic jam of wood occurred. Sometimes the loggers would break the jam loose by pushing the logs. Other times they would have to get radical before a real mess occurred. When it got bad, they would break the log jam by throwing dynamite into the middle of the logs that were blocking the progress. As you can imagine, this created a dramatic effect. When the dynamite blew, the logs and pieces of logs would fly into the air. After working so hard to cut the trees, some of them were a total loss. They had to blow up some of the timber to get the rest of the crop to market. That's the sacrifice the situation required. Sometimes that is what you have to do with the stopped-up budget. You have to dynamite it. You have to get radical to get the money flowing again. One way to do that is to sell something. You could sell lots of little stuff at a garage sale, sell a seldom-used item on the Internet, or sell a big precious item through the classifieds. Get gazelle intense and sell so much stuff that the kids are afraid they are next. Sell things that make your broke friends question your sanity. If your budget is stopped up and your debt snowball won't roll on its own, you are going to have to get radical. Watching heroes across the nation get out of debt with gazelle intensity, believe me, I have seen them sell things. One lady sold 350 goldfish from her pond for a dollar each. Men have sold their Harleys, 
boats, knife collections, or baseball cards. Ladies have even sold things like non-family antiques. Keep the heirlooms because you can't get them back. I don't recommend selling your home unless you have payments above 45% of your monthly take-home pay. Usually the home isn't the problem. I do recommend that most people sell the car with the most debt on it. A good rule of thumb on items except the house is this. If you can't be debt-free on it in 18 to 20 months, sell it. If you have a car or a boat that you can't pay off in 18 to 20 months, sell it. It is just a car. Dynamite the logjam. I used to love my car, too, but I found keeping that huge debt while trying to get out of debt was like running a race wearing ankle weights. The number of people I talk to about this who will not throw dynamite into their log jam to get the money flowing makes me sad. They can see that the logs will never get to market. They will never have wealth, but they just can't stand the thought of blowing up a few of them so the rest will get down the river. Translation, I love my stupid car more than the idea of becoming wealthy enough to give cars away. Don't make that mistake. More income will break up your log jam. If your budget is too tight to get the debt snowball rolling, working extra hours can increase income in order to increase the speed of debt repayment. I don't like the idea of working 100 hours per week, but sometimes extreme situations require extreme solutions. Temporarily, just for a manageable period of time, the extra job or overtime may be your solution. I picked up a pizza last night. And as the guy behind the counter started walking toward his car with a stack of pizzas to be delivered, he saw me and stopped. Smiling, he said, Hey, Dave, I'm here because of you. Only three more months and I'm debt-free. This was not some 17-year-old teenager. This was a dad, a 35-year-old guy who wants to be free. There is a young single guy that works on my team. He is gazelle intense about becoming debt-free. He works here until 5.30 every day. And he smiles as he leaves to work for UPS for another four or five hours virtually every night. Why are all these guys smiling? They work hard and unbelievable extra hours, so why would they smile? They smile because they've caught the vision, the vision of living like no one else, so later they can live like no one else. What about saving for retirement while the snowball's rolling, Matt asked me on the radio show about another subject that people have trouble with on Baby Step 2. Matt wanted to know if he should stop his 401k contributions to get his debt snowball moving. He really didn't want to stop contributing, especially the first 3%, because his company matches that 100%. I am a math nerd, and I know the 100% match is sweet, but I have seen something more powerful, focused intensity. If you are going to be gazelle intense and do everything in your power to become debt-free very quickly, then stop your retirement plan contributions, even if your company matches them. If you are radically gazelle intense, the speed of your debt freedom will enable you to return to that 401k with the match in just a matter of months. Imagine how much you'll be able to contribute without payments. The average person who throws the dynamite and is gazelle intense will be debt-free except for their home in 18 months. If for some reason you are stuck in an extremely deep hole, you may want to continue doing some retirement saving. An extremely deep hole is not defined by your unwillingness to apply yourself.
Penny's air conditioner went out in the dead of summer. The repairs were $650, which she took from her emergency fund. Now what does she do? Penny needs to put the debt snowball temporarily on hold. She will continue to make minimum payments and go back to the first step until she gets back up to $1,000 in her emergency fund. If she doesn't, soon she will have nothing in savings, and when the alternator on the car goes out, she will reopen some credit card account, and the same applies to you. If you use the emergency fund, return to baby step one until you have refunded your beginner emergency fund. Then move right back to your debt snowball, baby step two. Because of debt consolidation loans and other mistakes, many people have a home equity loan or some kind of large second mortgage. What should be done with this loan? Is it put in the debt snowball or just called a mortgage and not dealt with at this step? Generally speaking, if your second mortgage is more than 50% of your gross annual income, you should not put it in the debt snowball. We will get to it later. If you have a small business loan or have borrowed on your credit cards for business, this is personal debt. Treat small business debt like any other kind of debt. List it with your other debts, smallest to largest, in the debt snowball. If your business debt is larger than half your gross annual income or half your home mortgage, hold the payoff on that size debt until later. The only other larger debt to delay is mortgages on rental properties. Stop buying more rental property, but hold that debt payment until later. After your home mortgage is paid off, in a later baby step, you should snowball your rental mortgages. Other than the home mortgage, larger second mortgages, business loans, rental mortgages are the only things that aren't paid off in baby step two. If you are fired up, normally this will happen within 18 to 20 months. Many people find a way to shorten the time with sheer intensity, and God tends to pour blessings on people going in a direction he wants them to go. The debt snowball is very possibly the most important step in your total money makeover for two reasons. One, you free up your most powerful wealth-building tool, your income, during this step. Two, you take on the entire American culture by declaring war on debt. By paying off your debt, you show that the total money makeover of your heart has occurred, paving the way for a total money makeover of your actual wealth. Chapter 8. Finish the emergency fund. Kick Murphy out. When you reach this step, you have $1,000 cash and no debt except your home mortgage. You have pushed with such focused intensity that the ball is now rolling, and you have momentum on your side. You are beginning to see the power of being in control of your largest wealth-building tool, your income. Now that you don't have any payments except the house, baby step three should come quickly. A fully funded emergency fund covers three to six months of expenses. What would it take for you to live three to six months if you lost your income? Financial planners and financial counselors like myself have used this rule of thumb for years, and it has served my total money makeover participants well. You start the emergency fund with $1,000 but a fully funded emergency fund will usually range from $5,000 to $25,000. The typical family that can make it on $3,000 per month might have a $10,000 emergency fund as a minimum. What would it feel like to have no payments but the house 
and $10,000 in savings for when it rains. Remember what we said about emergencies. It will rain. You need an umbrella. I'm going to bang on this drum again because it is vital if your makeover is going to be permanent. The worst time to borrow is when times are bad. In a recent Gallup poll, 78% of Americans said they would borrow on a credit card if a rainy day came, and it wouldn't be difficult. I agree, it wouldn't be difficult because credit cards are issued to dogs and dead people every year. But that doesn't mean it would be smart. A poll in Parenting Magazine said 49% of Americans could cover less than one month's expenses if they lost their income. Half of this culture has virtually no buffer between them and life. Here comes Murphy. Remember how we discussed that problems seem to be, and I believe actually are, less frequent when you have your fully funded emergency fund. Don't forget that the emergency fund actually acts as Murphy repellent. So what is an emergency? Emergencies include paying the deductible on medical, homeowners, or car insurance after an accident, a job loss or cutback, medical bills resulting from an accident or unforeseen medical problems, or a blown transmission or engine in a car that you need to function. All these are emergencies. Something on sale that you need is not an emergency. I want to start a business is not an emergency. Prom dresses and college tuition are not emergencies. Beware not to rationalize the use of your emergency fund for something that you should save for and purchase. Sharon and I would never use the emergency fund without first discussing it and being in agreement. We also would never use the emergency fund without sleeping on the decision and praying about it. Our agreement, our prayer, and our cooling off period will help us determine if this decision is a rationalization, a reaction, or a real emergency. Keep your emergency fund in something that is liquid. Liquid is a money term that means easy to get to with no penalties. I use growth stock mutual funds for long-term investing, but I would never put my emergency fund there. If my car engine blew, I would be tempted to borrow to fix it rather than cash in my mutual fund because the market is down. We always want to wait on it to go back up. That means I have an emergency fund in the wrong place. For the same reason, don't use certificates of deposit for your emergency fund because typically you will be charged a penalty for taking an early withdrawal. I suggest a money market account with no penalties and full check writing privileges for your emergency fund. We have a large emergency fund for our household in a mutual fund company money market account. Keep in mind that the interest earned is not the main thing. The main thing is that the money is available to cover emergencies. Your wealth building is not going to happen in this account. That will come later in other places. This emergency fund is to protect you against storms, give you peace of mind, and keep the next problem from becoming debt. So how much money should be in your emergency fund? We said it should be enough to cover three to six months of expenses. But should you go with the three months or six months? If you are in straight commission or are self-employed, you should use the six-month rule. If you are single, or if you are a one-income married household, you should use the six-month rule because a job loss in your situation is a 100% cut in household income. 
if your job situation is unstable or there are chronic medical problems in the family, you too should lean toward the six months rule. If you have a quote-unquote steady, secure job where you've been with the company or government agency for 15 years and everyone is healthy, you could lean toward the three-month rule. Customize your emergency fund to your situation and to how your spouse deals with the feeling of risk. This fund is for actual protection and for peace of mind. So the spouse who wants this fund to be higher wins. In Baby Step 2, I instructed you to use all non-retirement savings and investments to pay down your debt. Clean everything out and become debt-free except for the house. Use all savings and investments that don't have a penalty for withdrawal like retirement plans. If you used savings that you had in Baby Step 2, Start the Debt Snowball, you cleaned out even the emergency fund down to Baby Step 1, save $1,000. Now is the time to rebuild your emergency fund by replacing any money you may have used to pay debt. Many times I've met someone who has $6,000 in savings at the bank making 2% interest and $11,000 in credit card debt. The very thought of using $5,000 of that savings to pay the credit cards partially off is very hard. That $6,000 emergency fund is your security blanket, and fear rises up deep inside when someone like me mentions that you should use that money to snowball your debt. You are right to feel that fear and to question whether you should spend the $5,000 to pay down the debt. You should use that money only if you and your whole family are into a total money makeover. I know even if everyone is on board, gazelle intense, and there is a plan, my suggestion still scares some of you. Good. Don't you think one of the things that makes the gazelle intense is fear? As your total money makeover completely changes your money habits, you will use the emergency fund less and less. Sharon and I haven't touched our emergency fund in over 10 years. When we first started, everything was an emergency. But as the total money makeover begins to take effect, you have fewer and fewer things you can't cover in your monthly budget. What used to be a huge life-altering event will become a mere inconvenience. When you are debt-free and aggressively investing to become wealthy, taking a few months off from investing will put a new engine in a car. When I say the emergency fund is Murphy repellent, that is only partially correct. The reality is that Murphy doesn't visit as much, but when he does, we hardly notice his presence. When Sharon and I went broke, our heating and air system quit, and the repair cost $580. This was a huge, big, hairy deal. Last month, I had a new $570 water heater installed because the old one started leaking, and I hardly noticed. I wonder if the stress relief that your total money makeover provides will allow you to live longer. I keep saying that you are debt-free except for the house at this point and saving to finish the emergency fund. What if you don't have a home yet? I love real estate, but do not buy a home until you finish this step. A home is a blessing, but if you move into home ownership with debt and no emergency fund, Murphy will set up residence in the spare bedroom. Saving for a down payment or a cash purchase of a home should occur after becoming debt-free in Step 2 
and after finishing the emergency fund in step three. That makes saving for a down payment baby step 3B. You should save for the home if you have the itch before moving on to the next step. There are all sorts of folks who are eager to work with you so you can make it happen sooner, but the definition of creative financing is too broke to buy a house. Next stop, serious wealth building. Well, you have made it. Two or two and a half years from the time you start your total money makeover, you can sit at the kitchen table with no payments other than for your house and three to six months worth of expenses and savings, which is thousands of dollars in a money market account. Close your eyes and let your emotions and your spirit visit that place. Wow, I know I see you smiling now. Once we've covered these basic steps and laid a foundation, the time has come to build some wealth. Remember, that is why we started a total money makeover. We wanted not just to be out of debt, but to become wealthy enough to give, retire with dignity, leave an inheritance, and have some expensive fun. Stay tuned for some big fun. Chapter 9, Maximizing Retirement Investing. Be financially healthy for life. I have a friend in his 40s who has a bodybuilder physique, but he is not some wild health nut. He watches what he eats, and he works out a couple of times a week. I have another friend in his 30s who diets fanatically, runs every day, lifts weights three times a week, but is still 40 pounds overweight. The second guy started his health journey a couple of years ago and is losing weight and getting into shape. The first muscle man maintains what he worked hard years ago to get. But he isn't working nearly as hard today. The total money makeover is the same way. Gazelle intensity is required to get to the wealth steps, but simple maintenance will keep your money muscles maintained. Keep in mind that my muscle man friend never eats three plates of food at a sitting. He is still aware he can lose his fitness but he can look good and feel good with a lot less effort, assuming he remembers the principles that got him his great body in the first place. Gazelle Intensity has allowed you to lose 100 pounds of debt and get your cardio emergency fund ready. That foundation will allow you to become financially fit by toning your muscles. You have attacked your debt. It is gone. With the extra money after eliminating your debt, you attacked your emergency fund. It is funded. You are now at a crucial time. What do you do with the extra money that you poured into the emergency fund and debt payoffs? This is not the time to give yourself a raise. It is time to invest. Investing for retirement in the context of a total money makeover doesn't necessarily mean investing to quit your job. If you hate your career path, change it. You should do something with your life that lights your fire and lets you use your gifts. Retirement in America has come to mean, save enough money so I can quit the job I hate. That is a bad life plan. Harold Fisher is 100 years old. He works five days a week at the architectural firm he founded. Mr. Fisher doesn't work because he needs money. He works because he finds joy in what he does. He is a designer of churches. His favorite saying is, 
People who retire early die early. Harold Fisher is financially secure and able to do what he wants, and that defines retirement the total money makeover way. When I speak of retirement, I think of security. Security means choices. That's why I think retirement means work is an option. You can choose to write a book, to design churches, or to spend time with your grandkids. You need to reach the point where your money works harder than you do. A total money makeover retirement plan means investing with the goal of security. You already possess the ability to quit your job, and if you don't like your work, you should consider doing that. If not today, develop a five-year game plan for transitioning into what God designed you to do. However, don't wait until you're 65 to do what you love. That said, the money part does matter. You want to reach your golden years with financial dignity, and that will happen only with a plan. USA Today reported recently that 56% of Americans do not systematically prepare for retirement age by investing. Consumer Federation of America found that of people making less than $35,000 per year, 40% said the best way for them to have $500,000 at retirement age is to win the lotto. Wealth Builder Magazine's poll found 80% of Americans believe their standard of living will go up at retirement. Talk about living in a fantasy. The reality is much colder. USA Today reports that out of 100 people aged 65, 97 of them can't write a check for $600. 54 are still working and 3 are financially secure. Bankruptcies among those 65 and older have gone up 164% in the last eight years. Getting older is going to happen. You must invest now if you want to spend your golden years in dignity. Investing with the long-term goal of security is not a theory to ponder. It is a necessity that you must act on now. Baby step four, invest 15% of your income into retirement. Those of you concerned about retirement are relieved that we've finally gotten to this step. Those who have been living in denial are wondering what all the fuss is about. Baby step four is time to get really serious about your wealth building. Remember when you reach this step, you don't have any payments but a house payment. With only one payment, it should be easy to invest heavily. Before this step, you have ceased or have never started investing. And now... You have to really pour on the coals. Gazelle intensity in the previous steps has allowed you to be able to focus on growing a sizable nest egg. The tens of thousands of people we have met have helped me develop the 15% rule. The rule is simple. Invest 15% of before-tax gross income annually toward retirement. Why not more? You need some of your income left to do the next two steps, college saving and paying off your home early. Why not less? Some people want to invest less or none so they can get a child through school or pay off the home super fast. I don't recommend that because those kids' college degrees won't feed you at retirement. I don't recommend paying off the house first because I've counseled too many 75-year-olds with a paid-for house and no money. They end up selling the family home or mortgaging it to eat. You need some retirement investing at this stage before saving for college and the mortgage payoff. Plus, by getting started now, the magic of compound interest will work for you. 
When calculating your 15%, don't include company matches in your plan. Invest 15% of your gross income. If your company matches some or part of your contribution, you can consider it gravy. By the same token, do not use your potential Social Security benefits in your calculations. I don't count an inept government for my dignity at retirement, and you shouldn't either. I'm not taking a political position, but the mathematics of that system spell doom. If Social Security isn't there when you retire, you'll be glad you listened to my advice. If by some miracle Social Security is there when you retire, that will mean I was wrong. In that case, you'll have some extra money to give away. I'm sure you'll forgive me for that. Now that you've reached this step, you need to learn about mutual funds. The stock market has averaged just below 12% return on investment throughout its history. Growth stock mutual funds are what I recommend investing in for the long term. Growth stock mutual funds are lousy short-term investments because they go up and down in value, but they are excellent long-term investments when leaving the money longer than five years. My personal retirement funds and my kids' college are invested in the way I teach in the Total Money Makeover. Here's a Reader's Digest version of my approach. I select mutual funds that have a good track record of winning for more than five years, preferably more than ten years. I don't look at their one-year or three-year track records because I think long-term. I spread my retirement investing evenly across four types of funds. Growth and income funds get 25% of my investment. They are sometimes called large-cap or blue-chip funds. Growth funds get 25% of my investment. They are sometimes called mid-cap or equity funds. An S&P index fund would also qualify. International funds get 25% of my investment. They are sometimes called foreign or overseas funds. Aggressive growth funds get the last 25% of my investment. They are sometimes called small cap or emerging market funds. For a full discussion of what mutual funds are, and why I use this mix, go to our website at DaveRamsey.com and visit my TMMO. The invested 15% of your income should take advantage of all the matching and tax advantages available to you. Always start where you have a match. When your company will give you free money, take it. If your 401k matches the first 3%, the 3% you put in will be the first 3% of your 15% invested. If you don't have a match, or after you have invested through the match, you should next fund Roth IRAs. There are some limitations as to income and situation, but most people can invest in a Roth IRA. The Roth grows tax-free. If you invest $3,000 per year from age 35 to age 65 and your mutual fund averages 12%, you will have $873,000 tax-free at age 65. You have invested only $90,000, 30 years times $3,000. The rest is growth, and you pay no taxes. The Roth IRA is a very important tool in virtually anyone's total money makeover. How much do you need to retire with dignity and security? How long will it take you to get there? You are secure and will leave a nice inheritance when you can live off 
8% of your nest egg per year. If you make 12% on your money average and inflation steals 4%, 8% is a perfect number. If you make 12% and only pull out 8%, you grow your nest egg by 4% per year. That 4% keeps your nest egg and therefore your income ahead of inflation till death do you part. If you can live with dignity on $40,000, you need a nest egg of only $500,000. I would recommend that you have the largest nest egg possible because there are some really cool, non-greedy things to do with it later, like giving it away. If, when you run the calculations, you are afraid you won't make your goal by saving only 15%, keep in mind this is just baby step four. Later steps will allow you to accelerate your investing while still having a life. Would you dream with me for a moment? Dream that a 27-year-old couple with an average to below average income commit to a total money makeover. They get gazelle intense and in three years by age 30 they are at step four. They invest 15% of their income. The average household income in America is $40,816 per year, according to the Census Bureau. Joe and Susie Average would invest $6,000, 15% per year, or $500 per month. If you make $40,000 per year and have no payments except the house mortgage and live on a budget, can you invest $500 per month? Follow me here. If Joe and Susie invest $500 per month with no match into Roth IRAs from age 30 to age 70, they will have $5,882,386 tax-free. That is almost $6 million. What if I'm half wrong? What if you end up with only $3 million? What if I'm six times wrong? Sure beats the 97 out of 165-year-olds who can't write a check for $600. I would submit to you that Joe and Susie are well below average. They're losers. Why? In our example, they started at the average household income in America and in 40 years of work never got a raise. They saved 15% of income and never increased it by $1. There is no excuse to retire without financial dignity in the United States today. Most of you will have well over $2 million pass through your hands in your working lifetime. So do something about catching some of that money. Gail asked me one day if it was too late for her to start saving. Gail wasn't 27 like Joe and Susie. She was 57 years old. Life had dealt her some blows and had knocked most of the hope out of her. A total money makeover is not a magic show. You start where you are and you do the steps. These steps work if you're 27 or 57 and they don't change. Would it have been better for Gail to start when she was 27 or even 47? Obviously. But once she's done with the pity party, she needs to start with baby step one and follow the total money makeover step by step to put herself in the best possible position. It is never too late to start. The past has passed. That's why they call it that. Start where you are, because that is your only option. Baby step four is not get rich quick. The investing you do systematically and consistently over time will make you wealthy. I think I see a smile broadening.
you are going to win. Can you feel it? Can you see it? Your life is changing. This is fun. Now let's take another step. Another Total Money Makeover success story. What a financial and emotional mess I was in. I had a master's degree from the financial arena and had over $150,000, yes, that is four zeros, in debt. I'm one of those broke finance professors Dave talks about. Hey, I had some really fun stuff, but I couldn't enjoy it because of all the debt it cost. I was really paying what Dave refers to as stupid tax, doing something stupid that costs you money. So I decided to make a change. I sold my motor coach and got on a written budget for the first time in my life. To make a long story short, I've worked my way out of $116,000 of the debt. I don't have as many toys now, but I have a lot of peace. I'm actually getting good at my budget, which provides a lot more hope and direction than my degree and toys did. If you've got an income, you need the total money makeover. It will be the best thing you've done for yourself, your family, and your money. If I'd had this plan 40 years ago, I have no doubt that I'd be a millionaire today. Debt is not a tool. Camille, a school counselor. Chapter 10. College Funding. Make sure the kids are fit, too. Time to do something about the ever-famous college fund. Many of you have been wringing your hands while we walked through four baby steps and have not saved so much as a dime for those little cherubs. Some people in our culture have lost their minds about college education. We need to examine our culture's value system on the college issue. We have sold our young people so hard and so long on college, and we have begun to accept some myths about college degrees. College degrees do not ensure jobs. College degrees certainly don't ensure success. College degrees do not ensure wealth. College degrees only prove that someone has successfully passed a series of tests. Because we have turned the college degree into some kind of genie-in-a-bottle formula to help us magically win at life, we go to amazingly stupid extremes to get one. I have been a millionaire, starting with nothing, two times before I was 40. And I attribute 15% of that to college knowledge and 0% to the degree. The book Emotional Intelligence reported a similar finding. In studying successful people, the author discovered that 15% of success could be attributed to training and education, while 85% was attributed to attitude, perseverance, diligence, and vision. College is important, very important. But it is not the answer to all your kids' problems. I will be so bold as to say college isn't even a need. It is a luxury. This luxury is one of the first on my list, but not before retirement, not before an emergency fund, and certainly not as a reason to go into debt. Do some research on the cost of attending college. In some areas of study, and in a very few careers, where you graduate from will matter, but in most it won't. Pedigree means less and less in our culture today. How can you justify going into debt $75,000 for a degree 
when you could have gone to a state school and paid for it out of your pocket debt-free. You can't. The first rule of college is pay cash. The second rule is, if you have the cash or the scholarship, go. A couple of years ago, I met with the dean of the College of Business from the university where I graduated. At that time, the average college student graduated with about $15,000 in student loan debt after spending three of four years in an apartment, not the dorm, and eating off campus, not on the meal plan. The average student paid $5,000 more per year to live and eat off campus than to live in the dorm and eat cafeteria food. The student loans that they had to have or they wouldn't be able to go to college weren't for college at all. The student loans on average paid for an off-campus standard of living and no debt was needed to get the degree only to look good while getting the degree. Student loans are a cancer. We have spread the myth that you can't be a student without a loan. Not true. If you've planned your savings goals and don't have much room in the budget for college, don't panic. In past generations, students lived with relatives, slept in dorms, ate cafeteria food, worked, and endured other hardships to get a degree. Now, after harping on mindset, we can set some reasonable, attainable goals for saving for college. Baby step five, save for college. Virtually everyone thinks saving for college is important. However, hardly anyone saves for their kids' college education. Money Magazine and CBS Market Watch both quote the alarming statistic that 39% of Americans with kids don't save a dime toward college. 4% have saved less than $1,000, and 25% have saved between $1,000 and $10,000. That means 68% have saved nothing or close to nothing. On the other hand, by the time you get here in the baby steps, you'll have a strong foundation and money to save. If you don't have children, or your kids are grown and gone, you will simply skip this step. For everyone else, a college fund is a necessity. College tuition goes up faster than regular inflation. Inflation of goods and services averages about 4% per year, while tuition inflation averages about 7% per year. When you save for college, you have to make at least 7% a year to keep up with the increases. Baby life insurance, like Gerber or other whole life for babies, to save for college is a joke, averaging less than 2% return. Savings bonds won't work either. Sorry, Grandma because they average about 5%. Most states now offer prepaid college tuition, but remember that when you prepay anything, you simply break even with inflation. If tuition goes up 7% a year and you prepay it, you make 7% on your money. That is not too bad, but keep in mind that a decent growth stock mutual fund will average over 12% when invested long term. Let's do baby step 5 the right way. I suggest funding college or at least the first step of college with an educational savings account, ESA, funded in a growth stock mutual fund. The educational savings account, nicknamed the Education IRA, grows tax-free when used for higher education. If you invest $2,000 a year from birth to age 18 in prepaid tuition, 
that would purchase about $72,000 in tuition. But through an ESA in mutual funds averaging 12%, you would have $126,000 tax-free. The ESA currently allows you to invest $2,000 per year per child if your household income is under $200,000 per year. If you start investing early, your child can go to virtually any college if you save $166.67 per month, $2,000 per year. For most of you, Baby Step 5 is handled if you start an ESA fully funded and your child is under 8. If your children are older or you have aspirations of expensive schools, graduate schools, or Ph.D. programs, you will have to save more than the ESA will allow. I would still start with the ESA if the income limits don't keep you out. What if you have only a couple of years and will not be able to save much because you started your total money makeover late in life? First, plan on your child attending somewhere that is cheaper, living on campus and eating cafeteria food. You must get creative and resourceful. Look into companies that have work-study programs. Many companies offer to pay for school and have struck tuition deals with local colleges to attract the labor force. UPS, for instance, has a program in many cities where you can work 20 hours per week sorting boxes at night, and they will pay your tuition for school during the day. The military isn't for everyone, but a young man who used to work for me got a free college education by serving four years in the Army. If full-time military service isn't for you, check out the National Guard. Take a high-rejection, high-paying summer sales job. There are countless stories of young people selling books or participating in similar programs to get through school. Some of these young guerrilla combat salespeople get more of an education in the summer trenches than they do in marketing class. A friend of mine made $40,000 selling in one summer. If you already have the student loans or don't want to get a loan in the first place, look into the underserved areas programs. The government will pay for school or pay off your student loans if you will go to work in an underserved area. These areas are typically rural or inner city areas. Most of these programs are for law or medicine. Probably my favorite method of funding school, other than saving for it, is unclaimed scholarships. There is more than $4 billion in unclaimed scholarship money every year. These scholarships are not academic or athletic scholarships either. They are of small to medium-sized dollar amounts from organizations like community clubs. The Rotary Club, the Lions Club, or the JCs many times have $250 or $500 per year they award to some good young citizen. The lists of these scholarships can be bought online, and there are even a few software programs you can purchase. Denise, a listener to my show, took my advice, bought one of the software programs, and worked the system. She spent the whole summer filling out applications and writing essays. She literally applied for 1,000 scholarships. Denise was turned down by 970, but she got 30, and those 30 scholarships paid her $38,000, she went to school for free, while her next-door neighbor sat and whined that no money was available for school and eventually got a student loan. If you walk your way up these baby steps, you can send your kids to school without debt. Even if you start late, perseverance and resourcefulness can get them through school. Chapter 11. 
pay off the home mortgage, be ultra fit. I have a good friend who runs marathons. As you reach baby step six, you reach marathoner status in the wealth building world. You have run the good race, but you aren't done. Bruce, my marathon friend, tells me that at about the 18th mile mark, runners begin to lock up. The highly trained and conditioned body starts talking to you about stopping. Big black clouds of doubt enter the mentally tough and trained competitive mind. You begin to think things like, 18 miles is pretty good. Few others could accomplish that. If you aren't really careful, the good enough can become the enemy of the best. Bad is seldom the enemy of the best. But mediocrity with a dose of doubt can keep you from excellence. Finishing well can be more important than starting well. At this point, in your total money makeover, you are debt-free except the house. And you have three to six months of expenses saved for emergencies. You are putting 15% of your income into retirement savings, and you are investing for your kids' college education. You are now one of the top 5 to 10% of Americans because you have some wealth, have a plan, and are under control. At this point in your total money makeover, you are in grave danger. You are in danger of settling for the good enough. You are at the 18-mile mark of a marathon, and now that it is time to reach for the really big gold ring, the final two baby steps could seem out of your reach. Let me assure you that many have seen this point. Some have stopped and regretted it. Others have stayed gazelle intense long enough to finish the race. The latter have looked and seen just one major hurdle left, after which they can walk with pride among the ultra-fit elite who have finished the total money makeover. Baby Step 6. Pay off your home mortgage. The final hurdle before you turn the corner for the last few miles is to become completely debt-free. No payments. I have said it before, and I will repeat myself until you hear me. If you invested what you pay in monthly payments, you'd be a debt-free millionaire before long. Every dollar in your budget that you can find above living, retirement, and college should be used to make extra payments on your home. Attack that home mortgage with gazelle intensity. Anytime I speak about paying off mortgages, people give me that special look. They think I'm crazy. Most people believe all the mortgage myths. Yes, we must dispel a few more myths. There are two really big, quote, reasons that keep seemingly intelligent people, like me for years, from paying off mortgages. So we will start with those. Big reason number one, myth. It is wise to keep my home mortgage to get the tax deduction. Truth, tax deductions are no bargain. We discussed tax deduction math when we looked at car fleeces. Let's review. If you have a home with a payment of around $900 and the interest portion is $830 per month, you have paid around $10,000 in interest that year, which creates a tax deduction. If instead you have a debt-free home, you would in fact lose the tax deduction. So the myth says, keep your home mortgage because of tax advantages. This situation 
is one more opportunity to discover if your CPA can add. If you do not have a $10,000 tax deduction and you are in a 30% bracket, you will have to pay $3,000 in taxes on that $10,000. According to the myth, we should send $10,000 in interest to the bank so we don't have to send $3,000 in taxes to the IRS. Personally, I think I will live debt-free and not make a $10,000 trade for $3,000. However, any of you who want $3,000 of your taxes paid, just email me, and I will personally pay $3,000 of your taxes as soon as your check for $10,000 clears into my bank account. I can add. Big reason number two, myth. It is wise to borrow all I can on my home or continually refinance for cash out because of the great interest rates and then invest the money. Truth. You don't really make anything when the smoke clears. This one is a little complicated, but if you follow me, you will have intellectually grasped why so many people have fallen into a financial pit. The myth that I was taught in academia is to use lower interest debt to invest in higher return investments. Sadly, some, quote, financial planners have told Americans to borrow on their home at around 8% to invest in good growth stock mutual funds, averaging 12%, because you make an easy 4% spread. Mutual funds are awesome investments, and as I have said, I personally have tons of money invested in good growth stock mutual funds. The problem with this myth is that the assumption used to get that 4% spread or profit on investing is wrong. Let's look at borrowing $100,000 on your home to invest. If you borrowed at 8%, you would pay $8,000 in interest. And if you invested the $100,000 you borrowed on your home and made 12%, you would make $12,000 in return, netting you $4,000. Or would you? Where I live, if you make $12,000 on an investment, you will pay taxes. If you are in a 30% tax bracket, you will pay $3,600 in taxes at ordinary income rates or $2,400 if you invest at capital gains rates. So you will not net $4,000, but instead $400 to $1,600. But we aren't through yet. If I own the home next to you and have no debt, and you, because of your investment advisor guy, borrowed $100,000 on your home, who has taken more risk? When the economy moves south and there is war or rumors of war, when you get sick or have a car wreck or are downsized, you will run into major problems with a $100,000 mortgage that I will never have. So debt causes risk to increase. Since debt causes increased risk, we must mathematically factor in a reduction in return if we are sophisticated investors. If you can make 12% on a mutual fund, and I try to get you to invest in a bet on the roulette wheel, which will return you 500%, you would automatically say the two don't compare. Why? Risk. Common sense tells you not to compare mutual funds and roulette wheel returns. 
without adjusting the returns for risk. Common sense tells you to discount the 500% upside of the roulette wheel because of risk. After discounting the roulette wheel for risk, you would rather have the mutual fund. Good choice. Actually, this is done in academia as well. Graduate-level financial people are taught mathematical formulas to make risky investments compare apples to apples with safer investments after adjustment for risk. We just never apply that formula to a debt-free home versus a mortgaged and invested home, which is very naive. The bottom line is that after adjusting for taxes and risk, the debt-free person will actually come out ahead. When you pay off your home and you have no payments, try something. Sit down on your paid-for back porch and take off your paid-for shoes. Now stand up and walk across your paid-for grass in the backyard. It feels different. Common sense. Myth. Take out a 30-year mortgage and promise yourself to pay it like a 15-year, so if something goes wrong, you'll have wiggle room. Truth. Something will go wrong. <laughs> One thing I am sure of, in my total money makeover, I had to quit telling myself that I had innate discipline and a fabulous natural self-control. That is a lie. I have to put systems and programs in place that make me do smart things. A big part of being strong financially is that you know where you are weak and take action to make sure you don't fall prey to the weaknesses. And we are all weak. Sick children, bad transmissions, prom dresses, high heat bills, and dog vaccinations come up and you won't make the extra payment. Grow up. The FDIC says that 97.3% of people don't systematically prepay extra on their mortgage. If you have a $110,000 mortgage at a 7% interest rate, you will pay $732 per month for 30 years for a grand total of $263,520 over the life of the mortgage. If you pay back the same mortgage in 15 years, you will pay $988 per month but only pay $177,840 over the life of the mortgage you save $85,680. $256 more per month, and you will save almost $100,000 and 15 years of bondage. The really interesting thing I have observed is that 15-year mortgages always pay off in 15 years. If you must take out a mortgage, pretend only 15-year mortgages exist. Myth. It is wise to use the lower rates offered by an arm mortgage or balloon mortgage if you know you'll be moving in a few years anyway. Truth, you will be moving when they foreclose. The adjustable rate mortgage, in which your interest rate goes up when prevailing market interest rates go up, was born to transfer the risk of higher interest rates to you, the consumer. In the last several years, home mortgage rates have been at a 30 or 40 year low. It is not wise to get something that adjusts when you're at the bottom rates. Balloon mortgages are even worse. Balloons pop. And it is always strange to me that the popping sound is so startling. Why don't we expect it? It is in the very nature of balloons to pop. 
when your entire mortgage is due in 36 or 60 months, you send out engraved invitations to Murphy. Myth. The home equity loan is good to have instead of an emergency fund. Truth. Again, emergencies are precisely when you don't need debt. The home equity loan is one of the most aggressively marketed loans today. The average American in debt to his eyeballs has exhausted all means of borrowing except the big second mortgage on his home. This is very sad because we now put our homes at risk to go on vacation, open a business, consolidate debt, or just for an emergency fund. Families come to us in dire straits when the home equity loan is their last bad mistake and the straw that breaks the camel's back. The banking industry calls these home equity loans HELs for short. And my experience tells me they simply left off an L. These loans are very dangerous and an unbelievable amount of them are in foreclosure. Even a conservative person who doesn't have credit card debt and pays cash for vacations can make the mistake of the HEL by setting up a loan or line of credit just for emergencies. Most HELs are renewable annually, meaning they requalify you for the loan once a year. Ed and Sally didn't realize this. Ed is a very sophisticated financial guy, or so he thought. So he had an HEL for emergencies. Sally had a bad car wreck, and within three months, Ed got downsized. They quickly went through the HEL and then got behind in their bills. The annual renewal came on the HEL, and the bank chose not to renew their loan because of their bad credit, which had been perfect for the previous 17 years of marriage. The bank called the note. Ed couldn't believe the bank would kick them out when they were down. The note being called meant they had to refinance to pay off the bank, but guess what? They couldn't because their credit was bad. The end result was very sad. They sold their home to avoid foreclosure. Ed was wrong. They should have had an emergency fund instead of a loan. Myth. You can't pay cash for a home. Truth. Bet me. I don't borrow money. Ever. Luke called me from Cleveland to tell me that some of our listeners are doing what Sharon and I have done. The 100% down plan. Pay cash. Most people don't think that can be done. Luke did it. Luke made really good money. His income at 23 years old was $50,000, and he married a young lady making $30,000. His grandfather had preached to him never to borrow money. So Luke and his new bride lived in a very small apartment over a rich lady's garage. They paid only $250 a month for it. They lived on nothing and did nothing that cost money, and they saved. Man, did they save. Making $80,000 in the household, they saved $50,000 a year for three years and paid cash for a $150,000 home. They closed on the home on Luke's wife's 26th birthday. They lived like no one else. And now, they are living like no one else. If you make $80,000 per year and don't have any payments, you can become very wealthy very quickly. Keep in mind, though, 
that Luke's friends and relatives thought he should be committed. They made fun of his cars, his lifestyle, and his dream. Only his bride and his grandfather believed in his dream. Who cares what the broke people think? Well, there it is. Baby step six. Debt-free and loving it. Our observation of families who stay gazelle intense is that they pay off the mortgage about seven years from the date they decide to have a total money makeover. I'm sure by now you are reassured that this is not a get-rich-quick audiobook. What kind of author would tell a microwave culture that it takes an average of seven years to reach the last baby step? What kind of author would tell a soundbite culture that the first two steps take a very tough two or two and a half years? An author who has seen it done tens of thousands of times by ordinary people with extraordinary desire would do that. The same author who tells you it's not easy, just worth it. I have used the emotional tag with radio audiences and live audiences that the grass will feel different under your feet when you own it. When you pay off the mortgage, have a barefoot mortgage-burning party and invite all your friends, relatives, and neighbors. Maybe they will catch the bug and want a total money makeover when they see yours is really working. Chapter 12. Build Wealth Like Crazy. Arnold Schwarzadoller. Mr. Universe of Money. You have reached that perfect number, baby step seven. By reaching the last step of your total money makeover, you have entered the top 2% of Americans. You are totally debt-free. No house payment, no car payment. You are not mastered by a card. You have not discovered bondage. American excess has left your life, and you are free. You live on a monthly written plan and agree on it with your spouse if you're married. You have a retirement destiny that looks considerably better than Alpo and social insecurity. If you have children, they will be students without a student loan. You have lived like no one else. So now, you will be able to live like no one else. Through sweat and sacrifice, you have reclaimed control of your life and your most powerful wealth-building tool, your income. Baby Step 7. Build Wealth. What is the purpose of your having a total money makeover? Why did you do it? Why all the sacrifice and work? To be in debt and out of control doesn't take nearly as much effort. Why go to all this trouble? Why do you want to have wealth? If you think wealth will answer all life's questions and make you trouble-free, you are delusional. Wealth is not an escape mechanism. It is instead a tremendous responsibility. So what would you do if you had $18 million that it took you 40 years to acquire? After years of studying, teaching, and even preaching on this subject across America, I can find only three good uses for money. Money is good for fun. Money is good to invest. And money is good to give. Most anything else you find to do with it doesn't represent good mental and spiritual health on your part. So if you one day have $18 million, you should do all three of these things. In fact, while you are working the steps to wealth, you should be doing all three of these things. At this stage in the total money makeover, you are Arnold Schwarzadoller, Mr. Universe of Money, with serious abs, pecs, and quads. You have all this financial muscle 
So now you should do something intentional with it. We built this financial superbody for a reason, to have fun, invest, and give. Yes, we get to have fun. The kid in us likes the fun part of this equation. And since we have made this kid behave for a long time with promises of ice cream, if he does so, he should get some ice cream. Should anyone wear a $30,000 watch? Should anyone drive a brand new $50,000 car? Should anyone live in a $700,000 home? Absolutely they should. The problem with people is they buy those things when they can't afford them. We talked about new cars and what a bad investment they are. Roughly 70% of the people I assist in a total money makeover have to make the difficult decision to sell their car. So some days my talk radio show becomes the sell the car show. Some days it seems my answer to every question is sell the car. Make sure you understand one reason to have a total money makeover is to build wealth that allows you to have fun. So have some fun. Taking your family, even the extended ones, on a seven-day cruise, buying large diamonds, or even buying new cars are things you can afford to do when you have millions of dollars. You can afford to do these things because when you do them, your money position is hardly even affected. That guilt-free enjoyment is one of the three reasons to have a total money makeover. The grown-up inside us likes the investing of money because that is the part that makes us wealthy. Also, the growing dollars are a way of keeping score in our total money makeover game. Are we winning? It truly becomes a game. Sometimes I meet people who arrive at this step and are scared because just as they reach retirement age, their investments are heading down. Never fear. If you have quality investments, they will come back. Besides, you don't need all the nest egg it wants to retire on. You just need some of the income from it. Be patient with the market while living off the income the nest egg produces. You can choose to be a little more sophisticated, but until you have over $10 million, I would keep your investing very simple. You can clutter your life with a bunch of unnecessary stress by getting into extremely complex investments. I use simple mutual funds and debt-free real estate as my investment mix. Very clean, simple investments with some basic tax advantages. Always manage your own money. You should surround yourself with a team of people smarter than you, but you make the decisions. God did not give them the responsibility over this money. He gave that to you. Celebrities and pro athletes often lose their entire fortunes because they give up the responsibility of managing their own money. The Bible states in the multitude of counsel, their safety. With Baby Step 7, Build Wealth, there is a subsection B, another milestone. The second milestone within becoming wealthy is the pinnacle point. Growing up in the suburbs in Tennessee, I grew accustomed to riding a bike and facing hills. To a 7-year-old with one gear, a huge hill looked like Mount Everest. I don't know which kid in history did it first, but the technique for small guy bike hill climbing has been passed down for generations. The switchback. Instead of pedaling straight up, we would painfully go side to side, taking a small bite at a time of our Tennessee mountain. The unpopular players' baseball cards made a slow click, click, click through the spokes as we made our ascent. The heat seemed oven-like. 
and the beads of sweat turned into rivers. You pull on the handlebars with all the power your arm muscles will produce to push your legs down on the pedals one more time. Push, push, breathe, breathe until you finally reach the top. What do you find at the top? Those of us that have pushed up some unbelievable hills know what I found that Tennessee summer day at the top of the hill. I found that perfect moment. The perfect moment when you push the pedal one last time before going down a huge hill on the other side. The perfect moment where you hang in the balance after all the sweat, the work, and the agony, and a smile breaks across your face. That moment, just before we take the glorious ride down, is the pinnacle point. And the ride down is glorious. The wind blows through your hair, and your feet are not on the pedals anymore, but up on the handlebars. The click, click, click of the baseball cards becomes a chattering with a sound like a thousand crickets. You are now enjoying the ride. The coasting is the fruit of your labors. Memories of strain, sweat, and repeated near failure fade as the wind tickles your ears, whispering, You are the king. You did it. You climbed the hill. You didn't quit. You paid the price to win. A smile in your soul says, Accomplishment. This baby step takes us to the point where your money works harder than you do. The pinnacle point. It is the instant in time where focused gazelle intensity has reached critical mass and your money takes on a life of its own. This point is not that you are going to quit life when you get there. You will still manage and direct, but the money thing will have its feet up and you will be going downhill. Wealth will find its way to you. Mistakes on your tax return will be in your favor. The IRS will discover them and send you the money back with interest. Well, that's probably an impossible dream, but you get the idea. When your money makes more than you do, you are officially wealthy. When you can comfortably live on your investment income, you are financially secure. Money is a hard worker, harder than you. Money never gets sick, never gets pregnant, and is never disabled. Money works 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. You have reached the pinnacle point when you can live off of 8% of your nest egg. Go ahead, multiply your nest egg by .08, and if you can live on that number, or that number is more than you make, you are coasting downhill. Congratulations, your money makes more than you do. Enjoy the ride. The most mature part of who you are will meet the kid inside as you learn to involve yourself in the last use of money, which is to give it away. Giving is possibly the most fun you will ever have with money. Fun is good, but you will tire of golf and travel, and if you eat enough lobster, it starts tasting like soap. Investing is good, but going around and around and around that Monopoly board eventually loses its appeal, especially after you reach the pinnacle point. Every mentally and spiritually healthy person I've met has been turned on by giving. I can promise you from meeting with literally thousands of millionaires that the thing the healthy ones share in common is a love of giving. Only the strong can help the weak, and that is true of money, too. 
The Bible states that pure religion is actually helping the poor, not theorizing over why they are poor. See James 1.27. Margaret Thatcher said, No one would have remembered the Good Samaritan if he hadn't had money. The Good Samaritan had a good heart and a heavy enough purse to pay an innkeeper to help take care of the injured man. Money was at its best that day. Money gives power to good intentions. That's why I'm unashamedly in favor of building wealth. Sadly, I meet people who try to avoid this third use of money, mistakenly thinking they will end up with more. Eric Butterworth tells of an interesting system used to capture monkeys in the jungle. The captors use heavy glass bottles with long necks. Into each bottle they deposit some sweet-smelling nuts. The aroma of the nuts attracts the monkeys to the bottles. When the monkeys put their hand into the bottle to get the nuts, the neck of the bottle is too small for a fist to come back out. The monkey can't take his hand out of the bottle without dropping the nuts, which he is unwilling to do. The bottles are too heavy to carry away, so the monkey becomes trapped by nothing more than his greed. We may smile at these foolish monkeys, but how many times has our freedom been taken away by nothing more than our greed? When you have your total money makeover, you can do some things with scale. I have one friend who buys 75 brand new bikes for an inner city ministry every year. He gets these bikes at Christmas and gives them out one at a time to kids in a subsidized housing project. Another pastor friend of mine is involved in a project called Seeds of Kindness. An anonymous member of his congregation gave $50,000 to the congregation members to give away one $100 bill at a time. These $100 bills are given human to human across the city with fabulous results. People who had completely lost faith in God and in the human race are shaken to the core by a simple $100 gift. The givers often report having more fun than the receivers. There are only three uses for money. Fun, investing and giving you cannot claim total money makeover status until you do all three as I said earlier you should begin doing some of each as you go through the steps and if you are married let your spouse have some slack as soon as there is some after you get past the emergency fund step let each other function in the areas you like best my wife Sharon is a natural saver so she always cheats toward investing I am a natural spender so I make sure she has fun. We both enjoy giving. Please push that pedal one more time. Switch back if you have to. Failure is not an option. Push, push, I promise. And the tens of thousands who have reached their pinnacle point in their total money makeover promise. At the top of the hill is a glorious ride down. Take that ride with us. Another Total Money Makeover Success Story Before we began listening to Dave Ramsey, we were a single paycheck family. We had no kids yet, but we did have debt. Two car notes, seven credit cards, a line of revolving credit, and a moderate retirement. We bought a nice 4,300-square-foot-high maintenance home for $250,000. What a mistake! The two of us didn't need that much house. There was no way to justify the payment or the wasted room. We kept trading cars to try to get a BBD, bigger, better deal, 
But the car equity hole kept getting deeper, or at least stayed the same. I'm not saying it's not okay to own some nice things, but the things owned us. This was demonstrated in revolving debt and increasing marital discord. The discussions in our marriage were frequently over bills. We had no budget, no kids, and no plan. When our first child was born, we'd had it with increasing bills and housing costs. We had been an occasional listener for about two years, and I got tired of being that doctor in debt Dave talked about on his radio show. We started to work the plan. With the birth of our second child, we had a financial rebirth. We have paid off the cars. I paid cash for a nice used car for my wife and kids. I chose to drive an older car. We sold the two hundred fifty thousand dollar house for profit to an up-and-coming politician, and bought a home for one hundred thirty-three thousand dollars and worked on it for two years. We have since bought our dream fix-up home and are having a great time. We have put an addition on our keeper home and will still pay off the mortgage in ten years or less. It is now a joy to use money and not dread another money discussion. Doing the total money makeover taught us more about each other than any marriage counselor could. We now communicate openly and enjoy being a doctor out of debt, except for the mortgage. John, a physician. Chapter thirteen: Live like no one else. You started this audio book financially flabby. Overweight with debt, out of shape in savings, and in desperate need of a personal trainer. However, there is a problem with following the total money makeover plan. The problem is simply that it's a proven plan because it works. If you follow this system, it will work. It will work so well that you are going to become wealthy over the next twenty to forty years. The problem with becoming wealthy is that you stand a chance of becoming enamored with wealth. According to Proverbs ten fourteen, a rich man's wealth can become his walled city. In Bible times, the wall around the city was the city's protection from the enemy. If you get from your wealth the idea that you are some big deal because you gathered some money, you missed the essence of a total money makeover. The wealthy person who is ruled by his stuff is no more free than the debt-ridden consumer we've picked on throughout this audio book. Anton Riveroli said, "There are men who gain from their wealth only the fear of losing it. Since you have been learning a wealth-building system from me, you might think I believe stuff is the answer to happiness, emotional well-being, and spiritual maturity. On the contrary, I see a real spiritual danger in having great wealth." The danger is old-fashioned materialism. In his great book *Money, Possessions, and Eternity*, author Randy Alcorn discusses a disease running amok in America: affluenza. Affluenza is a malady that affects some of the affluent and their children, because some of the affluent and their children seek happiness, solace, and fulfillment in the consuming of stuff. They end up depressed and even suicidal. They discover bumper sticker wisdom: "He who dies with the most toys is still dead." Stuff is wonderful. Get some stuff, but don't let the pursuit of wealth become your god. My wife and I are concerned that our wealth be a blessing and not a curse to our children, so we are tough on our kids regarding work, saving, giving, and spending issues. 
when one of my kids was a teenager, she complained to me, Do you know how tough it is being Dave Ramsey's kid, Dad? You're so hard on us, making us buy our own cars, manage our own checkbook. You cut us no slack. I replied that we are tough on them because one day they will inherit our wealth, and that wealth will either ruin their life or become a tool for great good. While wealth is fun, it comes with great responsibility. Another paradox is that wealth will make you more of what you are. If you are a jerk and you become wealthy, you will be the king of jerks. If you are generous and you become wealthy, you will be most generous. If you are kind, wealth will allow you to show kindness in immeasurable ways. If you feel guilty, wealth will ensure that you feel guilty for the rest of your life. The love of money, not money, is the root of all evil. As a Christian, I am amazed how certain political and religious groups have decided that wealth is evil. Many of the heroes of biblical faith, of world history, and of our nation were very wealthy, including King David, Solomon, Job, and most of our founding fathers. There is a negative mindset justifying money mediocrity that is maddening. Wealth is not evil and people who possess it aren't evil by virtue of the wealth. If you are a good person, it is your spiritual duty to possess riches for the good of mankind. If you are a Christian like me, it is your spiritual duty to possess riches so that you can do with them things that bring glory to God. The bottom line is, if you take the stand that managing wealth is evil or carnal, then by default you leave all the wealth to the evil carnal people. If wealth is spiritually bad, then good people can't have it. So all the bad people get it. It is the duty of the good people to get wealth, because the good people will do good with it. If we all abandon money because some misguided souls view it as evil, then the only ones with money will be the pornographer, the drug dealer, or the pimp. Simple enough? I think you can tell by now that the total money makeover is more than just a discussion on money issues. The total money makeover makes you face the man or woman in the mirror. Facing that man or woman makes us face emotional, relational, physical, and even spiritual aspects of our lives. The wealthy people that I know who are fulfilled didn't just have a total money makeover, they had a life makeover. Because personal finance is 80% behavior and 20% head knowledge, you will either make your life over in this process or you will end up miserable. I'm being very spiritual here at the end, but the spiritual is a legitimate aspect of behavior. I see well-rounded, mature people who become all God designed them to be when they get their money closets cleaned out. God has a plan for your life, and that plan isn't to harm you. It is a plan for your future, to give you hope. See Jeremiah 29.11. Hope is what I want you to walk away from this audio book with. Hope that you can be like the people whose stories I told in this audio book. Hope that you can turn your money troubles into money triumphs. Hope that you can retire with dignity. Hope that you can change your family tree because by building wealth you leave an inheritance. Hope that you can give money in a way you have never given it before. It is time for you to become a gazelle. 
it is time for you to apply these principles. They are age-old principles, and they work. Tens of thousands of ordinary people just like you and me have become debt-free and even wealthy using this plan. It isn't magic. It is common sense. The exciting thing is anyone can do this. Anyone. Are you next? I hope so. It is time for you to become a gazelle. Okay, so hopefully you went through that gambit of emotions uh, going through that book. Um, inspiration, maybe a little guilt, uh, a little motivation, um, but hopefully you're ready to, to giddy up and go. Look that person straight in the mirror and uh, make some, some really difficult choices, uh, but these difficult choices will hopefully uh, set you up in the long term that you can uh, kind of shake away that those burdens of debt. Okay, here is your one homework assignment, and it's a doozy. And this is mainly designed for uh, someone that's that's in a relationship. If you're single and just listen to this, uh, giddy up, right? You don't have to ask anybody. You don't have to to do anything. This this <laughs> these tasks and being consistent in in trying to uh, right the ship of the chaos of your money. Uh, it rests solely on your shoulders. So uh, if you're single, you sort of get a pass. Um, other than you, you better you better giddy up and do it because you have you have no excuse. Um, if you're in a relationship, uh, in particular, if you're married, here is your homework assignment because uh, this is a particularly sensitive subject between a husband and wife. So if you are in a relationship, even boyfriend and girlfriend, uh, that, that has maybe future down the road, you know, engagement, marriage, all that good stuff. Uh, you need to nip this in the bud as quickly as possible, but here is the homework assignment, uh, relatively simple, but yet really difficult (laughs) at the same time. All you need to do is to get your significant other to listen to this episode of this podcast. Now, now why do I say that? Well, you could go over some of these concepts with with somebody. Uh, it's just going to be a, a really hard, difficult thing uh, to sell, especially in a 5, 10, maybe 15, 20-minute conversation. Uh, it can get a little heated. There's probably uh, some baggage there. Uh, you've probably made some bad financial decisions. Uh, the other person's probably made some bad financial decisions uh, and and hopefully you can work through that and just say, you know what, yeah, we, we both screwed up, but we need to we need to do better moving forward. But but here here's the homework is if you can get your significant other to listen to this episode and just hear the wisdom of Dave Ramsey uh, making his case. Uh, and again, it's it's not your case. It's it's Dave Ramsey is making a case, and you just happen to agree with him or agree with a large portion of what he says. And uh, other than that, I mean, the numbers are, they're kind of just simple math. Uh, there's a whole lot of emotion that goes with those numbers. Uh, they represent uh, a lot of personal choices, probably uh, not the best of personal choices. But start taking those baby steps, and it's going to be really hard unless your spouse uh or boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, is on board with this program. I mean, it's it's 
it's a two two person team and it's really hard to move the boat when only one person is paddling or especially if the other person is paddling in the different direction from you so you really need to get on the same page and start paddling that boat in the same direction and you will also witness what i call the magic of the third party so what's the third party? Well, the third party is not you. The, the third party is not your spouse. That's uh, party one and two. The third party is an unbiased source. So uh, this this happens this happens all the time. And I'm sure when we get into relationship hacks, a uh, few episodes down the road, we'll talk a little bit about this in more detail. But uh, pretty much, if if I tell my wife something. She may think I'm an idiot, but if her friend tells her the exact same thing, it's the most brilliant idea she has ever heard in her life. Uh, And why is that? I don't know. Same thing when she tells me something. Maybe I'm standoffish. Maybe I don't want to accept it. My buddy tells me the same thing. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's a good idea. So I don't know what it is, but just know that it exists. So (laughs) if you have Dave Ramsey making the case for you, um, someone that's clearly been there and done that and definitely, definitely knows what he's talking about, it's going to make a whole lot more sense uh, than if that kind of discussion comes from you. So um, have someone else like Dave Ramsey do the heavy lifting. So just go to your significant other and say, hey, check out this, uh, check out this episode, check out this book, and let's just talk about it. You know, Let me know your thoughts afterwards. Now, if you are the significant other that was asked to listen to this episode and you are now hearing my voice and hearing, uh, <laughs> do you feel like you've been bamboozled? Well, well, don't. Obviously, the person that told you that cares very much about you. Otherwise, uh, this episode wouldn't have been recommended. I mean, this is a big deal. It's your future together. And you really, really need to get on on the same page, you know, not just for for you, but for you as a couple, you as a team and any future legacy that you may have through your kids and grandkids and all that good stuff. So um, it's a really, really critical uh, thing. Uh, It's not just money is just not just a piece of paper. It is just the sum total of of your decisions and your identity and, and what you think is important. So get on the same page, get together, um, make it work, do your best, grind away to the top of the mountain, and we'll see you guys next time. Take care. Thanks for listening. We hope you found a few nuggets of wisdom that you can apply to your life. Until next time, take action. Keep hacking and stacking your way to success.